Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that this week wins the Olympic gold medal for hours spent analyzing the Loki show on a podcast. I'm your host, (laughs) Joe Cunningham, and joining me are... James Hunt, Reese Williamson, and Caroline Zeta. Caroline's back. Caroline, I'm back. Our, our, our listeners will obviously know you uh, very well from all of your previous appearances. Uh, but if anyone doesn't, uh, Caroline is a film and TV critic. She is a regular contributor to the AV Club and has, in fact, been writing the AV Club. Uh, do, you, do you call them reviews or recaps over at the AV Club? You know, we used to call them reviews now i think they're officially called recaps but i personally call them reviews yeah they feel more reviewy um, i certainly do not list every plot point that happens so <laughs> in that sense they're definitely not a recap um but caroline i think the 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 new thing since you last i think this is since you last joined us is that you have launched a new podcast um it's true and you should tell our listeners all about it because it is very good Aw, oh, thanks. Well, you guys have been very sweet to support it. Yeah, my friend Ned and I, who also is a big fan of Cinematic Universe, um, we started a podcast. It's called Roll Calling. We do a little five-film miniseries that sort of stars an actor that we love. So we started with Christian Bale. So there is a Batman Begins episode out there that might be relevant to your listeners. Uh, we did an Emily Blunt series. We're currently in our Dev Patel series. So, yeah, they're really fun to do, and you guys have been sweet in promoting it and also helpful on a technical level sometimes when i have questions (laughs) it's very helpful to reach out to other people who have been doing this for much longer and know far more than ned and i do um yeah and it's it's really good i um i particularly enjoyed your slumdog millionaire episode recently um because you talked about that way about that movie in a way that as someone who hasn't watched it for a decade i hadn't even considered uh the angle that you were taking on the movie but it was one that i was like oh yeah no that 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 should be the angle to take on this movie yeah dev (laughs) so like we started with christian bale who's just one of my all-time favorite actors like has been an obsession with me since i was a teenager and now we're doing dev who who i like love but just did feel like I didn't know as well. And so this has just been a slow process of me just like falling in love with Dev and watching every element of his career. And it's been like really fun to sort of build out the narrative of where he started and sort of the peaks and valleys of how long it took him to get where he is now. Such a handsome man. Oh, I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we have a we have a, a running joke on one of our chat threads about Dev Patel. Um, I think it was I think it was Seb originally who maybe suggested that Dev Patel would be a great choice for Doctor Who. Hundred mm, um, percent. Well, I I was very very <laughs> very uh, quick to uh, assert that Dev Patel is way too sexy to be playing to be playing Doctor <laughs> Who. <laughs> Wait, is that not? I feel like that's a, a 
that is a key component of being at least a modern doctor. Now yeah, we're but, now you've really gotten me on a tangent. But, but if we're gonna try to argue that David Tennant yeah. is not a very attractive yeah. person, no, 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 they're all they're all attractive. But Dev Patel is too sexy. <laughs> there's two, Dev Patel used to be my number one fan cast for Spider Man, and then he yeah, really so, glowed up from that, and now yeah. he's my number one fan cast for James Bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I've been I've been on Riz Ahmed for a while for James Bond, but mm-hmm. I, I think he might be aging out of it. I don't know. But yeah, Dev Patel. Uh, all of them too handsome, too sexy to play. <laughs> Doctor Who. Caroline, I don't know if Doctor Who is like you know it's a family it's family viewing it's sort of weekend evenings like the the I think if Dev Patel was the Doctor that the the country would would run into issues the buses would crash off the road like there would be fires started that would for me that would be my that would be my fear that just our society would it would would the country would crumble yeah i mean i think because you guys in america you're watching it's slightly time shifted it's you know it's on streaming this would you there'd be a there'd be you'd have to sort of be indoors purge style when when the episodes were running because that would be the fear on the streets it would be cars being flipped over that's that yeah so i I shared it i I really feel like you're gonna get letters from like peter capaldi's fans (laughs) just like how dare you suggest <laughs> as I said, all of them, all of them, very attractive for TV. For TV, brutal, brutal, definitely brutal. Depatel Sorry, Jodie Whittaker. Depatel is movie star handsome. Hey, Matt Smith was in one of those Terminator films. Was he? You know, yeah, it was like one the, of like the, the seven or eight Terminator films. Yeah. <laughs> yes, was anyway. he <laughs> Yeah, he was. <laughs> Should we do the podcast? <laughs> so yeah, should, I mean, if we want. Yeah, you should, um, th- th- that, all of that is to say that you should listen to Roll Calling. Uh, but right now you're listening to Cinematic Universe. Uh, we will be discussing the entirety of, I would say entirety of Loki, but no, I have to say the entirety of season one of Loki. Um, that will be a spoiler-filled discussion from the off once we get into it. You may have been listening to our Patreon episodes where we discussed one episode at a time. Um, but we brought in the expert um, for this episode. Um, and we brought Reason as well. And <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, will, we will be diving deep on all six episodes and, and how we felt about the series. Uh, but before any of that, I would like to ask James to explain... I, I actually don't know whether this is a comic book concept or whether it's just comic book adjacent. Um, James, talk to me about He-Man because um, <laughs> well, he, he He-Man is is back. He-Man is back. I mean, He-Man isn't back. Masters of the Universe is back. Um, it's interesting you question whether it's a comic book or comic book adjacent. Because... I genuinely don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, some some of the earliest lore for He-Man was created in the form of sort of comic books, um, in much the same way as Transformers. Like, they were comic books even before the toys existed. Um, but, you know, the most popular incarnation is the cartoons, so... Who can say whether He-Man is truly a comic book property or not? I can tell you that the new Kevin Smith Masters of the Universe series, which is on Netflix, is extremely good. Surprisingly so. I was sort of like thinking, ah, Kevin Smith reimagining of He-Man, how good can that be? And it turns out the answer is extremely good. 
So talk to me about it. Is it a... Because genuinely, like, beyond occasionally on Blank Check, Griffin Newman talking about voicing one of the characters, I know nothing, <laughs> I know nothing about this. So is it... it it's a reimagining? It's a, it's, it's, a, it, uh, it's a fresh start? Or is it in, like, cartoon it's... continuity? Well, okay. Or... What would you say you know about He-Man? If I said to you, like... Blonde. He's blonde. You know He-Man, you know Skeletor, you know there are a bunch of action figures surrounding both of those characters, right? That I, I think you have just explained what I know about He-Man. Yeah, and that is all you need to know about He-Man. Like, the, the first episode of this new Netflix show, of which there are five episodes, sort of plays like the finale to the original Filmation cartoon, which I have almost no memory of. Like, it's, God, must be 30 plus years since it was on TV. Um, I didn't like it at the time, but, you know, that, that first episode sort of picks up the little knowledge you know and sort of re- throws you back in to the same continuity, ostensibly. Okay. But it's not like you have to remember anything that happened in the previous ones. You just need to know, like, oh yeah, that's He-Man, that's Skeletor, he's good, he's evil, they're gonna fight. And it all flows from there, and they they treat it with such respects. It's like it, it almost Shakespearean in how they approach the characters and the the alliances and the ramifications of what happens in that first episode. It's just it's really interesting and it's the kind of continuation you would want for any of those sort of crappy eighties TV shows that existed purely to sell toys to like gullible kids. Okay, so I've got, not, I've, yeah. oh, sorry, I've got a couple of a couple of quick follow up questions before I open this up to the group. Um, mm-hmm. So, given you didn't like He Man the first time around, what yeah. what drew you into this? What's the selling um, point for you? Is it Kevin Smith? The, the Kevin Smith is the reason I watched it because I keep a I keep an eye on everything Kevin Smith does, you know, just to just to make sure he stays in line. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but honestly it's the best thing he's done since clerks 2 so we're talking wow. about 15 years and clerks um, 2 we should point out clerks 2 not good <laughs> i mean clerks 2 okay everything since clerks 2 pretty bad i'm trying to think i do you know what i i i have some affection for not affection that's the wrong word i like parts of red state um okay. but I I'm trying to think other than that. Oh, I've had a real tough time with everything that he's done since just scrolling down his IMDB. Yeah, you saw I Red mean, State in the cinema, Joe. Since James Yeah, been... yeah, I think that's right, Reese. Yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> Jane Silent Bob, been... I would say probably, is the last thing that I got affection for, and then I think probably the last thing he did that was actually good is Dogma. He directed a couple episodes of Supergirl, the T V show. He did. And The Flash, right? He's been... He did, he's... Yeah. And I think he hosted... I remember him hosting some, like, after yes. show where they had John Cryer out, and he was just like, you're the best Lex Luthor, which I do kind of agree <laughs> with. But his enthusiasm was a nice, like, match for the Arrowverse. But yeah, Ke- like, Kevin Smith's primary role, I would say, in the last 15 years has been as a sort of super fan and podcaster... Yeah. And everything creatively he's done has been sort of bad. But this is easily one of the best hmm. things he's ever had his name on. 
And um, does it? And so this was my second question before I before mm-hmm. I opened up was. Um, do do you feel like that the show is good because of like does it feel like a good Kevin Smith thing or does it feel like maybe Kevin Smith has surrounded himself with the right people? I I mean I think Kevin he di- Smith he is the directs every episode right? Does it he's a sole, he I believe he writes director? some of it as well. He's definitely wow. written at least one episode. Um, but I think maybe maybe where it works is that he has a really good instinct for what makes a sort of powerful moment and actually i thought about loki when i was watching when i was watching he-man or sorry masters of the universe revelation as it is called <laughs> um because every scene in every episode moves forward both the characters and the plot mm. and i was watching it going i really wish marvel would take their cues from stuff like this because you never get the sense of wheel spinning or people waiting so that they can develop the plot like things happen at a mile a minute. Like characters die, alliances shift, plots are introduced and change and finish within one episode. Like they introduce artifacts, they pull things in and out. Yeah, even by Netflix's mm. standards. Like by the standards of all modern television, this is mile a minute, and mm. it's just so enjoyable. Mm. I so cannot Reece, recommend it highly enough. Reese, Caroline, do you have any any affection, any relationship with? Master of the Universe, and does the show appeal to you at all? Should we, basically, what I'm doing here is I'm canvassing, should we be covering the Frank Langella version on this podcast? I, <laughs> I genuinely, weirdly, I can't, ex- I don't know why, I watched the last half hour of that movie about three weeks ago, uh, and thought it was strange, I, I, and I did some wiki, you know, wiki whole sort of uh, reading about it, because uh, obviously, you know, you watch it, and it, and then to read it and go, oh, that was Frank. Like that was Frank Langella. What? Because <laughs> uh, he's behind all these prosthetics. You can't tell. Um, uh, no, I, to be honest with you, I I just I want I wanted to watch it from those tweets I saw from James. You know, solely and and then you know, like you, Joe. There's the black, there's the blank check link that I know he's a voice, which I, I guess I've got a sort of curiosity about that. But but to hear James, you know, you know, say it's basically the, what the, the best show he's seen in the last 25 years which is kind of what you said <laughs> I'm, now I'm pretty intrigued uh, is yeah. it is it aimed at children like what's a, a comparable uh, like show of this level it's um, animated right yeah I would say it's it's hard to say right because it, it definitely plays off a lot of the nostalgia of the original He-Man show but I would be fully on board showing this to my daughter who is seven like there's nothing in here that's gonna offend her sensibilities or worry her but it feels like it might be aimed at a slightly older audience yeah i mean it's not inappropriate for younger audiences i think that's fair there are some sort of complex ideas and uh it's more morally gray than your average kids cartoon James, um, I was wondering, but, and know, this is this is me just completely projecting from what it sounds like. <laughs> is it is it perhaps a little bit like the Transformers comics that they seem like they have a most that is a close comparison yeah. adult readership, but that also they aren't necessarily inappropriate for kids. Yeah, um, they're a bit less dense than the Transformers comics, but um, I think that's that's a fair comparison because those. They sort of take this very simple idea of like a war between good robots and bad robots and says, well, what if we developed that idea and made it a bit more complex? And that's what this does. 
Right, so basically what I'm going to need the listeners to tell us is, do they want us to cover He-Man at any point on this podcast? And if so, what version? Because <laughs> <laughs> we, could, we could properly take this back to explaining things to Joe here, because I am I mean, in the dark He-Man entirely. is a superhero, right? He-Man's a superhero. Yeah. He is essentially a boy version of a magical girl. So I think there's no reason not to cover him in that sense. He's thought. It's like, it's it like does... Shazam, but but plus Star Wars, plus Lord of the Rings, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of sort how of, they've got on there. You know, he's got a magic sword and he transforms into a superhero. I think that that qualifies him for coverage. Um, is he, is he the, not the, the problem sword, is, James. if you want to cover the... He, he just, he just he's, always seems he's like very he's thought. Thor-like. If we want to cover the TV show, the new TV show, it does mean we're going to have to cover the movie as well, and the movie is bad. So it is a poison chalice in that regard, but yeah. I would be up for both. Yeah, but when is covering... If, literally, if we didn't cover bad stuff, we wouldn't have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> also, there's a bit of a gap on Patreon before what is. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The content... I, think I'm, I think I'm just now realizing over the course of this conversation that He-Man and Highlander aren't the same thing. <laughs> We're in a world that I really don't know anything about right now. I, ironically, I think Caroline... ironically, Caroline, in this in this case, mm-hmm. there can be more than one. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I think I think Caroline, you especially should watch He Man because I'd be mm. very intrigued to see what you made of it. Okay. Right. You semi sold me. I have to say, <laughs> I want to say you one hundred percent sold me, but I do tend to not go for animated TV shows. But who knows? Maybe this will be the one that finally. Did you did you watch the, the, the Shira reboot? No. Okay. I mean, it's it's not in a in an identical vein to that, but that was great as well. And this is kind of along similar lines. How many episodes is five twenty two minute episodes? So oh, twenty two minutes, okay. that's including doable. credits. Yeah, mm, that's 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 sweet music to my ears. <laughs> it's the first Ooh, yeah. half of a ten episode season, isn't it, James? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So stay tuned. Okay, we'll move on to this week's comic book movie and TV news, um, and we're gonna well, we're gonna start with the Emmys because the Emmys handed out some award nominations. Um, I think uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll just cover my off my boy. The, my boy got recognised. No, we'll, co- we'll, we'll cover <laughs> off the stuff that would be that should that should be news. Uh, which is that one, one division was widely recognised, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was not widely recognised, and then, I guess, also in our kind of realm, the boys picked up some nominations as well. But where Falcon and the Winter Soldier was recognised was for Best Guest Actor in the Drama Series, uh, where Don, Don Cheadle got nominated for his... And just, 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 just remind me, Despite all of our speculation, he did not come back in the finale, right? No, he didn't. He did not. No, he did not. So he was recognised for the... I mean, I've got to say, I think that Don Cheadle is good in this scene where he turns up and talks to Anthony Mackie but basically doesn't say out loud any of the things he's thinking because he wants to let Anthony Mackie figure it out for himself. And it really (laughs) does have the sense of... This is the first half of a two-scene cameo where he's going to turn up at the end and go, cool that you worked all that stuff out for yourself and I didn't have to tell you. I really, you know, <laughs> g- g- great great character arc you've been on, buddy. Well done. Um, 
assuming schedules did not allow for that. Um, but the Emmys were like, we don't need to see the second half. We <laughs> <laughs> got schedules. <laughs> it's especially wild when Carl Lumley was right there. Like, if you right? want to oh. give a guest, you know, actor an award for this show, like, there's a very obvious candidate to do it for. <laughs> Or hell, nominate friggin' the the the, the, the Carl Lumley's grandson. I mean, I don't know anybody else. Over Don <laughs> anybody Listen, else? Those those fourteen seconds were some of the most powerful in the entire show. <laughs> what what I just to take a step back from this. I mean, what what this does suggest to me that is pretty interesting is that um, I I feel broadly three episodes in that Marvel are kind of stumbling out of the gates with their Disney Plus stuff that they haven't quite figured it out yet. And I think they will, right? I think they will I, I think they will get closer, but this has a this has a real MCU phase one feel to it where it's like, you really understand how to nail these certain things, but it, it, like maybe you haven't quite got your head around how to make really good TV in its entirety yet. Um but they're already picking up all of these award nominations, and especially if they're going to be submitting in the guest category, you know, the 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 one-off or mini-series category, they're going to clean up awards-wise over the next few years because they're going to have so many shows out as well, and they're all going to star movie stars. <laughs> and like, I if they can't, the, if they the can't resist Don Cheadle, are they going to resist Oscar Isaac and Ethan <laughs> Hawke a year from now? I was just looking while you were talking. So I think Don Cheadle has like 11 Emmy nominations. Mm. So this might be a thing where like the Emmys just love Don Cheadle. Do you know what I mean? I don't know how much <laughs> of that goes to Marvel in particular. Or if the Emmys are just like, if we mm. can nominate Don Cheadle, we will do it. <laughs> yes. what, what oh, Don Cheadle's in a show this year? We need to just get, get the nom to him. Just get House it of... over and get it to him. House of Lies, right? That was a show. Yeah, That's... House of Lies. I think one was like a, a guest appearance on ER. Sure. Great. Well, you've—I mean, you've got to—you've got to reward that when you get the chance. Sure. Yeah. House got, of Lies, Black Monday, that show that I also like—it's all the shows that I don't feel like actually exist that he's got <laughs> nominated for. Yeah. So Listen, it, everyone, everyone knows that War Machine rocks, and I'm very <laughs> part of that club. This does feel like it locks in, you know, him winning an Emmy for Armor Wars, like probably if he can get nommed for 15 yeah. seconds. Whatever Amors is, even if it's like a toilet show, he probably wins an Emmy. He probably not gets nominated and wins. That's just what is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Armor Wars. Sit, sit. We convinced that's happening. What do you mean? I don't know. It just feels feels made up. Okay, my I other don't... update is he's never actually won an Emmy, so oh. maybe it really will be Armor Wars. Will they'll be like we we've got to do it. We've nominated him so many times. Listen, are we convinced he's not winning for this? Yeah, maybe. Who else? Who's he, who, who's he up against? Yeah, who's he up? I have no idea. I, I didn't. Caroline, I didn't. have you got? Have you got a? Have you got a, a page up? Are you? Are you? Uh, I can do you... some research. Let's <laughs> no, see. No, you're the guest. You shouldn't actually. Really, it should be me who's doing the research. In my <laughs> you role guys, here. vamp, and I'll pull it up. <laughs> um, I want to. I, I want to say while Caroline's pulling this up, I find the Emmy so weird. Like it, it, it can't be possible for that voting body to, you know, if you're if you're an Oscar voter. And you want to do your due diligence, right? You can watch everything that's shortlisted. You just can't do that with the Emmys. And then even if even if they're going, all right, well, we'll just watch one episode, or we'll watch the the episode that they've submitted for. Like for performances, how do you how do you judge it based on one 
episode in this in this era of TV? And how do you compare performances in, you know, someone who's maybe playing a, a character on an arc across the season versus someone who turns up and plays a pretty much a static character week in, week out in a procedural? I just, I, they're a weird, weird awards body that, you know, it just it always seems strange to me that they're like, yeah, we like this one show X amount. It's now been running for 11 seasons and we like it. So it's been nominated for best comedy series 11 times. Um, tough shit. What, what, what else do you want <laughs> us to do? We like this thing. But there's also the nutty thing that, you know, you had the day, the daytime Emmy actual awards like last weekend, I think, or a couple of weeks, ago, ten days ago, and like they Netflix shows won awards, and it's like, wait, hold on, hold on, it's the daytime Emmy. So it's this is this has existed to award Emmys to shows that are that are broadcast during the daytime, but so what are you is there, have, have they done research on when people when people on that people are watching these shows during the daytime? No, they haven't. They've just sort of submitted. To the you know submitted Dash and Lily to the YA category on the data memories and won a load, uh, even though you know you could watch it any time of any time of the day. Like yeah, well, you know, it's also arbitrary. Is it set during daytime? Uh, I can think that yeah, that's how they judge the shows. <laughs> yes. The daytime Emmys are for shows set during the day. <laughs> kind of any night scenes, no well, night scenes. And also, I, oh. I, will, I will always throw this out there. When you're a global streaming service, it's always daytime somewhere. Mm. True. I do have an answer for who Don Cheadle's competing against, okay. which okay. is Charles Dance for the Crown. I think uh, that's t- stiff competition. Who's it, wait, he, who, who does he play? Uh, Lord Mountbatten. And he dies. dies. Sorry, sorry, he dies. Right? Yeah, but that's, don't you think that's going to be more likely to win if you die in your show? Fun fact, um, I used to so. live on a road named after Lord Mountbatten. Well, so, there you go. Great. Um, Matt, Timothy called, Oliphant for The Mandalorian. Oh, oh, that was fun. He was also good Carl was good Weathers for The Mandalorian. So Disney's I, doing well in this category. Can I, can I just throw out there as well? Uh, Timothy Oliphant, too sexy for Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> Also too sexy for Doctor Who. Courtney B. Vance for Lovecraft Country is <laughs> oh. our fourth nominee. Oh, who's going to win that? I think it'll be. I think it'll be um, uh, Oliphant. No, I've got chips down. I've got Vance. Apollo Creed has to win. <laughs> okay, so Caroline, you've got to take one of the others. Yeah, I guess I'll do Charles Dance. The Crown seems <laughs> to do well. I agree with your larger point, Joe, that the Emmys are. I find them just to be a confusing show to watch as a viewer because yeah. you're just sort of there's it's hard to build up a narrative when it's just like okay you're doing all the comedy and all the drama and then mini series or, or whatever which is basically just mm. another drama category they don't fit nicely with my brain that wants to cross things off a list and have everything be yeah. neatly mm. organized so i of all the awards i tend to actually tune them out the most even though i write about a decent amount of tv and fantastic when like i don't know show like big little lies submits in limited series and then a mm. year later is like hello series yeah. two <laughs> or Lovecraft submits in drama t- to be cancelled, you know, the week before, I think days after the voting had ended, but a wow. week before the nominations were announced. So, you know, that's, that is essentially a limited series because it got cancelled after one season. So there's all that kind of, there's all that nonsense. I think it just makes you think, it just, to your point, Caroline, it just kind of makes you think ever more about the arbitrary nature of award shows. Mm-hmm. And, and, and for me, it's, it's that plus the recent Golden Globes stuff where, where you just, if you just sit and think, if you just sit with it and think about it for a, a minute, you re, again, you just realize how arbitrary it is. And, and I think that breaks the spell that I, well, I just, I mean, I, mean, I just want to be in the I spell. Mean, so I want to be in the spell so much. The Golden Globes were particularly arbitrary given the way that they were voted. Um, 
But nobody I... said anything. We just pretended like they were a big deal. You know, you. Well, you, you I, I, we did. You, the Guardian newspaper, the cult, or like you know, the UK culture, papers, the, the wider the culture. After, does. I had a yeah. semi-annual semi tweet, which was just to remind everyone, the Golden Globes really do not matter. Just, just ignore them. They're bad people giving out bad awards. Please ignore them. Um, but hopefully they get replaced by a glitzy ceremony that um, is less toxic and corrupt. That would be maybe nice. the cop Maybe the copies. Have, maybe. Been, have we, have we thought copies. about approaching? I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> it's a crazy idea. I don't know. NBC presents the copies. <laughs> I can't I mean, tell you how close I came to... We're, uh, we've just released on Patreon a quiz episode. I can't tell you how close I came to giving James questions on who had won copies. <laughs> 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 and basically the only thing that stopped me was I couldn't be bothered doing the research. <laughs> <laughs> Laziness! Anyway, we've Terminator talked... Terminator 2. We've, Terminator 2 for every answer. <laughs> We've talked way too long about Tom Cheadle getting nominated for an Emmy. Um, <laughs> that was crazy! So we're going to move on to um, a piece of news around um, Marvel's uh, Blade reboot. Uh, they're, they're Mahershala Ali starring Blade movie. Uh, Deadline reported last week that Bassam Tariq is Marvel's choice to direct the movie. Um uh, Tariq recently directed Mogul Mowgli, uh, which I haven't seen yet, but I heard very good things about and um, starred Riz Ahmed. Um, and um, I, 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 I don't know, has anyone here seen Mogul Mowgli just before I say we're not going to talk about it? Nope. No, I, okay. I have. Oh, have you, Reese? Yeah, I saw it at the, at the Berlin Film Festival and I hated it. And so I actually will withdraw from further from the, this further chat because... Oh, no, that's because... fine. So that's... They, they, that, that's, that, that's And the director, gave, the director gave a little chat afterwards. And uh, I thought, my I thought if I'm going to ask a question, my question would be, why did you make this stinky movie? But then, the, <laughs> but then when you go when you see stuff at festivals, completely devoid of... I mean, I love it, but you see, completely devoid of, of the wider yes, yeah, uh, yeah. sense... And then, and then the reviews, and then it hit, you know, hit the BFI player mid-pandemic last year, and people loved yeah. it. And I thought, okay, 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 uh, sure. I guess people like it. I don't know, but I, I, I really, I really thought it was so far up its ass and completely. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I didn't get it. Didn't get no, it. well, that's that's good reason to have the wider context on the movie itself. Uh, but I did. I, I what I wanted to use this as a, as a launching pad for discussion around the directors that Marvel are choosing for their projects mm. and whether we like or dislike this trend because it really does feel like that the way that they're going with this is indie director who has like a hit uh, rather than you know a, a string of them and or or you know has the breakthrough hit where their name becomes has has you know some kind of some kind of buzz attached to it and then they and then they snap them up to direct you know the next the next movie in the mcu so you know i'm looking we've we've got um phase four kicks off with uh kate shortland uh dustin daniel cretton chloe Zhao. um i guess sam raimi is probably the big one that stands out here in films that aren't sequels uh the marvels is going to be near costa uh, near da costa um yeah and it, and it, and you know they've done it before with people like John Watts right coming off of Copcar. Who? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't exist. No, he doesn't exist. Um I I, I feel conflicted about this because I I kind of I like 
I like the idea of directors proving themselves and then being given an opportunity to make a name for themselves and hopefully get written a bigger check than they would have done on whatever their their other project would have been otherwise. But uh, there's something that sits doesn't sit great with me about the fact that Marvel isn't isn't plucking anyone out of obscurity. They are they're letting someone else take the initial initial chance on someone and then riding the wave. And and also then like career arc wise, is this the best thing to be happening to these directors? Like is 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 this going to be a good thing for Basantarik? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Of course it will. Yeah. You know, he, he he you know, they if you think about think about the Russo brothers profile now. Like they think about what they can get made now uh versus what they what they were doing before. You know, if you get in, you go into well, the yeah, machine, think, you then, then, you know, you decide how long you want to be in there for probably and you come out you come out hot, hotter than you you, you were. So it would be a no-brainer I think if you could if you thought you could you had a shot at getting one of these movies. Would be I guess I, I guess I agree with you there commercially, but then like, are the Russo brothers making better or more interesting stuff than they were before they were in the MCU? But maybe I they mean, were going to make their shitty movie stunt yes, anyway. Right? <laughs> is it? I don't know. I would, I would say no. <laughs> I would say give me all of the wacky stuff that they were doing on Community rather than Cherry. I mean. TV directing is very different to a movie, right? And yeah, it is. Surely, yeah. Cherry is the, surely Cherry is the sort of movie you want them to come out with, which is something that just wouldn't have gotten made if they weren't the Russos. Like, regardless of how you feel about whether it's good or not, the fact that they could get it made is surely a good thing for the diversity of movies out there, right? It's two, it's two separate questions. So I think the question, question of, uh, you know, uh, is it good for directors to to make choices early in their career to then allow them much more freedom, much more, much higher budget films to do what they want with, you know, is that good for them? I think the answer is yes. Uh, but on the other, on the flip side, as, as audiences, you know, is it good for audiences to, does that, gen, does that, you know, does that necessarily create a better films? The answer I think is probably no, it doesn't necessarily. So it's just, it's, I think it's two different ways to look at it. Should Basim Tariq take this movie? Yes. Will that mean that he makes better movies for us in the future? Not necessarily. Yeah, I, I, Caroline, do do you have any particularly strong take on this? I get, I think we're, I sort of feel like we're in a testing ground for it now. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like it hasn't quite been long enough since these people have taken over to see what they do next. Like Bowden and Fleck, I don't, I don't yeah. know if we've seen like Fallout from Captain Marvel. I also don't feel like Captain Marvel felt like a super director-driven, personality-driven movie. I sort of felt that way with Black Widow, too. If I didn't know they were directing Captain Marvel, I wouldn't wouldn't have said it was them. Yeah, I almost wonder if maybe Eternals will be more of a testing ground, if Chloe Zhao will... I mean, that that feels Mm. to me like a real test case of, like, how much personality will she inject into that movie? And then what will her career be like after? I mean, I do think picking interesting directors can obviously pay off well like i think people love what taika waititi did with ragnarok they you know what ryan coogler did with Mm -hmm. black panther what james gunn did with guardians but i'm i also do sort of wonder if maybe the indie world is not the always the right world to be pulling from like i do sort of understand why like a horror world or people that have been doing more heightened 
genre work, why that would sort of make more sense. But again, I feel like it's so early. I don't want to be like, okay, because these like, I can cite two examples where what where I don't think it worked out super well. Like, I don't know if that's enough to sort of have a thesis on but i do think it's a good point to keep an eye on for the next this like next phase four cycle of movies if if i was going to be cynical i would say one of the considerations is that marvel wants directors that feel grateful to be on the project so Mm -hmm. indie directors who have just just had a critical hit and are now getting shit loads of money to do something that almost any other studio would you know not give them the chance to do easier they're the kind of directors who will easier to control is exactly my point yeah they would they're they're gonna do what they're told and they're gonna like it and that's not necessarily the case of people who are used to doing horror movies on a tiny budget and Mm. having much more creative freedom and the majority of them right i think that's something that stands out for me is i like looking at the list of directors that they have worked with and are going to be working with soon even if some of them have a, a bigger profile, what they don't tend to have is experience working on the like the big budget effects side of things. So, you know, they're not going, okay, Colin Trevorrow's just done Jurassic World. Now, can we bring him over and do a, do a Marvel movie? <laughs> Thank God. Well, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. but you know what I mean? I, I think it's... Yeah. Not- what yeah, what yeah, I mean yeah. is like they don't they they're not waiting for that person to get a chance at another studio and then bringing them over. It's and I I kind of wonder whether they really like which Taika Waititi said out loud, which was, uh, "You do the action stuff. That's they're already doing that. That's fine. I'll just focus on doing the bits of the movie that I'm good at well." Because you know is. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, is is Chloe Zhao or Destin Daniel Cressing going to come in and go? No, I really strongly feel that the action, you know, the CGI needs to do this, this, and this. Because well, they they haven't worked with it on that scale before. So mm-hmm. yeah, but Sam, but Sam Raimi is. So that Sam Raimi is the is so th- definitely the exception. So here. let's have this chat. I think after after Chloe Zhao, because you know that the timing's interesting. There, obviously, she makes the movie pre. Nomadland. Yeah, but I also thought I thought it was interesting that you know you, we we basically got the first full trailer after she'd won the Oscar, and it was I just th- I thought it was markedly trying to suggest that mm-hmm. the same Chloe Zhao that won an Oscar days before you watching this, uh, and and so she's great made this movie in her way. I mean, but we'll see because she made the movie before Nomadland or before she won the Oscar, and then Sam Raimi, who also is in this odd little spot in his career, like he he is. He is. Uh, he's. You know. When did. When did. Uh, when did the James Franco Oz movie come out? You know, eight years ago. Like, yeah. he's, where's he at in his? Is he? Is he? As, perhaps he's as controllable, as you know. Perhaps mm-hmm. he's. He's at like a Tim Burton doing Dumbo phase of his career, where he's. But does he can come and go? <laughs> Here's the money. Do the thing. I'm afraid. You know. You. You are under our thumb a bit on this. He's I'm only looking. made two movies since he finished uh, Spider-Man. Right. Wild. One of them is Drag Me to Hell. Is it's so good it's so yeah. so great uh but you know how he must be you know he's probably in his uh 70s at this point maybe 60s, he's maybe. 61 right okay <laughs> anyway but you know he might be a guy who wants to make movies make more movies and yeah so sign up to this and and then feige or alonzo or whoever comes in and goes oh no you you of course can't do x y and z we're still going to have the same vfx guys do all of the the previous action sequences like we like we always do you can do your weird stuff for the, you know, for the conversation scene, but we don't know. We just, you know, it will, we'll have to make those, make those judgments after we see that film. I, I think it's, it could go either way. 
I also I feel I feel weird about Eternals um, since I saw Nomadland and I didn't really like it. Mm. I didn't really like it, you guys. <laughs> I like Nomadland. I was caught off guard because I I thought that I would, but hey. Incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Reese, I think we disagreed on like all of the Oscar movies this year. Yeah, especially promising a woman. You, we, we really, yeah, we are, we are, really other either ends of the spectrum. Yeah. That one. But it's good because we're still friends, and it just shows that it just shows that people can be friends and have these different opinions, and that's say, really I'm, important. I'm secretly beefing with James over the old guard episode, and he doesn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't wait to hear that one. Brilliant. <laughs> okay, uh, we'll move on to our next piece of news, and this is around Batgirl, and I'm going to have to cede the floor on this one because I haven't seen In the Heights, and I think everyone else here might have done. Um Leslie Grace has been cast as Barbara Gordon in the Batgirl movie. Um, there were rumours like a day or two before this casting was announced that it was down to Zoe Deutsch and Hayley Lee Richardson. Um, but they've gone for Leslie Grace. And I saw lots of people on Twitter who had seen In the Heights being um, positive about this. So, guys, tell me, does this does this feel good, like good casting and... Um, are we excited about a Batgirl movie? Uh, I'm excited about a Batgirl movie. You know, Jeffrey Wright, the the, the the dad of Leslie Grace Batgirl in the in the Matt Reeves universe. We, we haven't seen that yet for HBO Max. I'm here for that. But I, but I would say oh, I, I forgot saw, about um, that. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I think that's I think that's what it'll be. Uh, and I loved I loved In the Heights. I thought that of the four leads, she was the one that I had the least um that popped the least so you know for, for what that's worth but she she wasn't she's not bad in it but i think she maybe has the, the more boring character of, of the four perhaps um but but yeah so i, I don't i don't really to be honest i don't really have i don't really have a, a, an opinion on this mm-hmm. uh, but i am i'm you know batgirl is is a good character and we haven't really seen the the pure comics version of the character on screen and then you've got the jeffrey wright of it all and so yeah i'm 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 i'm, a, I'm probably one percent more excited from this casting but i'm not less excited <laughs> caroline this is the one episode of your podcast i haven't listened to uh, because... <laughs> i was gonna say i should plug that we <laughs> literally a day before we recorded that episode ned and i are like yeah we our episodes can be like an hour and a half long but i can't imagine we'd ever go longer than that and then we immediately recorded a two-hour two-hour episode on In the Heights. Um, I actually feel similar to Reason that I think Leslie Grace, that's her name, right? Mm -hmm. She was not, like, she didn't fully pop for me in the movie. Mm -hmm. She wouldn't have been the, like, breakout star that I would pick out. I think Mm -hmm. it's, like, one of her really early performances, and I think it feels green, which is, like, charming for that character and does not necessarily mean bad things for her future, but I think she's a little bit more of a question mark of, like, okay, what does her her next couple performances look like? Mm -hmm. And it'll be curious to see but you know hopefully the studio like her saw potential in her or saw her mm-hmm. you know audition saw something that maybe we didn't fully see in in the heights um but i agree with Ruth. it's not like she's bad or anything i just wouldn't have picked her out of that lineup to be the one to go on to lead something big but okay she's james, charming in it. james can you uh are you gonna strike the final nail in celestia <laughs> grace's wish. coffin <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I could say something more interesting than has been said. But no, I fully agree <laughs> with both Reese and Damn. Caroline. Like, she was fine and in the heights. 
she wasn't the thing that stood out. You have to imagine that they, the people who have chosen her for this role have seen something we didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't make me any less excited for Batgirl, but... Were you excited for Batgirl uh, in the first place? Well, I'm excited because it's been a long time without a Batgirl movie. Mm. Um, my instinct is that Batgirl works best as a supporting character, but... Who knows? I'm sure they'll come up with a story that works for her. Or at least try to. Well, so, um, Batgirl I'm as excited will be... for Batgirl as I would be for any other DC movie. <laughs> Batgirl will be directed by the directors of Bad Boys for Life. And in the year of our Lord 2021, just be grateful that it's not being directed by Joss Whedon. Um, so we, <laughs> we move on now to our next piece of news. Um, I don't know how much we can say about this, but it feels notable enough that we should talk about it. Um, Michaela Cole has been cast in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Um, we don't know what her role will be. We don't know what that movie will be. Um, but I, I guess when I saw this, I think what I said to you guys in our chat thread, James, was I'm happy that this is happening because it feels like Michaela Cole deserves to be getting the Phoebe Waller-Bridge career arc. Mm-hmm. And and so it feels it feels good and right that she's been cast in a Black Panther sequel. I don't you know who who knows what it will be, but good for her. I hope I hope the check is significant. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely one where it's like this completely makes sense that she would go on and do big you know, high profile things like this. And I'll just throw out if anybody hasn't seen I May Destroy You, like fantastic TV show, heavy at times but also very funny at times, and like what a singular creative voice she is um so yeah i'm excited to see her like thriving in the hollywood ecosystem i i, I do hope well you know because phoebe waller bridge it's interesting how post glee bag season two she i'm trying to think on the creative end of things you know she had that she had the, the what was it called that that the train show is it called run with um what's oh, yeah. with those guys uh, and obviously she's attached to the mr and mrs smith, smith thing at amazon but she hasn't I'm not sure she's had anything uh, on the on the on the behind the scenes end that's been as, and it would have been hard to sure, but it feels like uh, what I'm trying to say is it feels like she's moved in front of the camera more. She's working on she's working on Bond, right? She 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 did a pass on the latest. Yeah, Bond. but I just I hope I you go almost go back to the question Joe earlier about moving to Marvel. You know, is that good for them? Yes. Is that good for us as audiences? And with, you know, with the art that they produce, perhaps not. I just, Michaela I, I, I just kind of don't. I want her to be, you know, I want her to be able to make stuff that she that she's interested in and wants to make. And and great, you know, you know, it's the movie. The movies just start shooting. Uh, the size of the role, who knows the size of the role? But I, I kind of don't want her to, you know, in three years' time, be announced as oh, Michaela Cole's joined. The cast of of this new Star Wars trilogy, I, you know, I, I just feel <laughs> I like the, say, the, vo- you're the voice is you so interesting. To, you're saying you want her to make another TV show of her own, or just or a movie. Or, Joe's, you know... Joe's saying he wants her to voice a sarcastic robot. <laughs> <laughs> and both both career trajectories are valid. Hmm. No, I yeah. want I, I want I want her to have both. And and you know what I think <laughs> that I think particularly for her, being in the sequel to Black Panther directed by Ryan Coogler, that's. That's good, I think. I think that's good for any... like. It's good for an actor. Yeah. It's not so great for a writer. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's fair, but she's both. And that, like, the she, question and, is, and she do, is, do, and she well, is do you want more... Yeah, and I I hope this doesn't mean the end of her writing career, because Chewing Gum and I May Destroy You are both amazing. And... I think what it suggests in the same way that it did for Phoebe Waller-Bridge is they, ha- they have the opportunity to do both now. Mm-hmm. Like, she, she she could quite easily say, no, I don't want to be in Black Panther 2 because um, I'm writing my new Channel 4 six-part series. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, 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 you know, if she's... If getting cast in this gives her the freedom to be a bit more choosy or, yeah, or, or to really really push the right the right place it's to... that yeah it's that fine balance you know yeah making career in this in that in those industries it's that it's that steering you know between one you know that kind of one for them one for me thing and i mechanical seems to have basically made the right choices so far so who are we to you know who are we to to wonder you know if that's if she's on that same path now or and also you know fuck us for even sort of maybe she just wants to do something different now or, or not or whatever. But, um... Well, that's what I mean. That's what, that's what I was trying to get at is I think traditionally what you would assume is of course, Phoebe Waller-Bridge will get cast in the Hollywood projects now and Hollywood, you know, she'll be able to decide what she wants to do. I, I would not be so confident that that would happen for Michaela Cole. Mm. Um, yeah. But, and I guess I am happy that those opportunities are open to her. Um, uh, next piece of news is that Marvel, um, you know, we know that they've got What If coming up on Disney Plus next month. Um, uh, Victoria Alonso, who's one of the, the you know, kind of uh, Kevin Feige's consigliaries over at, um, over at Marvel, she um, has confirmed that, the, that Marvel will have a mini studio for future animated projects. Um, uh, what, what do you think about this, guys? I guess we haven't seen what if yet, um, but it really it it. I, well, I don't know why. When I read this, I was like, "Oh, so they want to be able to pad the weeks of Disney Plus mm-hmm. where they don't have a live action TV show." I <laughs> think are they, they going to make anything interesting animated? Is the, the an, thing... is the animated stuff going to be canon? This That's is what I was going to say, right? The the interesting thing here is Marvel Studios could potentially pad out their own canon with animated stuff. Whether... Because, like, that, you know, that's always the, the sticking point for me is do I want to watch an off-brand Guardians thing? Not really. But if, if they did six animated Guardians episodes with the movie cast, maybe I'd be more into it. Mm. Um, I don't know. My... My experience of Marvel's animation specifically has been that, aside from a couple of X-Men shows in the last 30 years, it's been mostly not really for me. And Marvel Studios doing their own stuff, I don't I don't really feel like they're going to come up with any new magic formula that's going to make me suddenly enjoy it. So I'm sort of content to say, well, let's see how What If does, but I'll be fine ignoring most of this. Yeah, I, I the one thing I did like was it sounds like that they're going to establish they're going to do this in house that they're going to have set up a, li- a little you know essentially a small animation studio within Marvel and nice for Disney to be doing some animation in house yeah, yeah. 
Like, it just, I just think it's wild. Every time a Disney project comes around, like a live action thing that's got some animation in it, and especially like like Mary Poppins Returns, you're like, mm-hmm. oh great, Marvel, uh, Disney are doing TV, and it's like, no, we literally had to farm this out to an outside <laughs> studio because we. The Walt Disney Company do not have those expertise in house anymore. Mm. Now, what the fuck? How is that? How did this happen? <laughs> but that's um, a, yeah, there's a real growth. There's a real growth at the moment in uh, sort of adult-oriented animation. I think you yeah. see you see a lot of the streaming companies. They are investing in this mm. in this space, you know. And so, in, you know, in in a weird way, actually, Marvel kind of feels a bit late to this disney disney slash marvel feels a bit late to this but i so so that's interesting i but i also share james's view of kind of it'll it's going to be tricky and we'll see after what if but it'll be it's the question of you know are they are they going to be able to do a good enough job to sell us you know the asses of the world the sort of dweebos who are going to hoover up all this, sh- this shit that's quote unquote <laughs> canon. uh going to be able to are they going to be able to convince us that this is true and real and this isn't a modoc thing or the netflix shows and this it has to matter right i think it needs to feel it it needs to hit this real sweet spot of being canon adjacent where and i think which is which is is what what sounds like it is Mm -hmm. is canon adjacent Mm -hmm. but like what james described about guardians of the galaxy that just if i saw that i'd be like it's like it's like the Buffy Phone comics. Like you can yeah, t- you yeah. can tell me that the Buffy comics are yeah. a continuation. Many of, of which story. are great. <laughs> yeah, but I but I, I but I'm just not going to treat them as if they are like in my head. They're not. They're not in continuity. I don't. I don't care if I'm being told that they are. They're not. Um, you could see and so, I, and so, I'm never and I'm never going to read them. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like stuff you could. I could imagine. Let's say. Let's say you had a a the Adventures of Young Thor and Loki animated show, in the style of like kind of bombastic uh you know viking art you know and it wouldn't it would be mostly just the same kind of animation style that's on all these shows but that would be the that would they would sell it to us as that and and you get hemsworth and you get hiddleston and you get well you get hopkins sure maybe you know that and i'm like okay yeah okay that matters i will watch yeah. that what if the but, same uh but, you know but, I it see, I, are... but it doesn't actually have any ramifications on no no phase four of the mcu exactly so no, that's the, they will be to. threading that needle what i don't what i don't what i don't think this will be is what the dc side do which is you know and and all power to them they've been doing this for for years now it's like let's take a recent comic that people like yeah, and yeah. adapt it and and cast some sort of b b minus level actors and we could do a press release every time we kind of we cast one of the names and oh but you know jared padalecki is the new batman asterisk <laughs> brackets animated <laughs> for this one movie and it's sort of 80 minutes plus credits like fine no great but like i don't think that this will be that comic, I think it will comic be... book resources have dropped eight eight breaking news articles about it <laughs> exactly i don't no, it's funny. It's funny when I when I go and research every every couple of weeks when we do the show, I re, I kind of I get the news ready for Joe, and it is funny how and I go to superhero hype, you know, that's that's not a paid for plug, but it's funny how scrolling through the news stories, how many of them are just like, yeah, here's the latest three images from this this DC animated movie that part two of the Long Halloween. It's like who can who? I mean, uh, I guess somebody's reading this stuff. PRs have got to but, earn their money. <laughs> yes, but I don't think that that will be this. But but you know, I don't think this will be that. But uh, but this. It might have its own different challenges. Caroline, what's the what's this is like a, a a pitch in the middle of the episode? What would be the perfect animated Marvel show to drop on Disney Plus to get your interest? Uh, 
<laughs> I, I don't know what's wrong with my brain and that I adore animated films. Like, I love animation. I love animated films. And I have absolutely zero interest in animated TV shows. Like, I just kind of know this about myself. And people will pitch me, this is why Avatar The Last Airbender is amazing. You know, James's eloquent pitch on He-Man. But in my head, I just think I don't care. So I'm happy that these shows can exist and that I'm sure they'll be great and people will love them. But I have to imagine these will be the kinds of shows that I don't know exist until you guys do a Patreon episode. And I'm like, what? That's a thing? And then I watch a trailer and I'm like, whoa, okay. And then I listen to you talk about it and I think, cool, that's how I will experience that piece of entertainment. Yep. This is just reminding me, the, C- the CW, uh, back back when we used to talk about all of the, I mean, I say that, we talked about all of the news on this episode. Um, the CW at one point did like an animated show that was in universe for the Flyerverse stuff. And then the character turned up as like a guest star mm-hmm. in, in, in live action on Arrow or something. Was it the Ray? No, yeah. no, no. There was one before Wasn't that. It, it was, it was it played was... by what's his name? <laughs> by to- Toby, right? Russell. Yeah, Toby? but there, there was yeah, a, yeah, yeah. But there was a guy. But there was a there was a female superhero before. Oh, that. um, like oh, a, a woman superhero. What are you talking? About? <laughs> <laughs> she has all the animal powers. What's yeah, she has animal powers. Know? That's it. What's her name? Animal powers. Vi- Vixen. No, what's her name? Is it Vixen? Sure. She takes on that. She can take on the spirit of different animals. James, come on, James. Yeah, I, on, I mean, dude. we're so far out of my wheelhouse. James, here. come on, dude. Oh, Vixen. Vixen. It is Vixen, oh, right? You got yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Vixen ran for two series in 2015 and 2016, mm. and was vo- uh, was uh, performed by Megalyn Echikunwoke, and she then appeared in live action. Yeah. Carrie Wurra was a guest voice. Amazing from Sliders. <laughs> from um from Rural Jura. Rural Jura. Yeah. Rural Jura. <laughs> okay, last piece of news, I promise, and then we're going to move on to talking about Loki. <laughs> um, Michael B. Jordan is apparently developing a Val Zod Superman miniseries for HBO Max. So, oh, God, there are lots. <laughs> <laughs> He's excited. There are lots He's... of. There's the, the the peace is peacemaker or peacekeeper, the guy the keeper. guy the peacekeeper. They're <laughs> doing. There's a peacekeeper show coming up on mm-hmm. HBO Max. There's a spinoff from the Suicide Squad. There is a, a Gotham cop show that is spinning off from mm-hmm. uh, the the Battinson movie and uh, yeah and and we keep hearing about these. HBO Max shows in development. So the latest one is that, yeah, apparently Michael B. Jordan is developing a Valzod miniseries. Um, and Valzod James, it says here, is the Superman of Earth 2, who is one of the canonical black supermen in DC Comics. That is correct. <laughs> and I can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> and why, why, why is your voice full of such disdain for this project? I'm just, I'm so sick of Superman projects that are Superman adjacent. Like, yeah. well, you should watch Superman and Lois. That's just straight up <laughs> Superman. Yeah. Main it's day. out there for you, James. No, it's not. Not in the UK, it's not. Oh, Caroline. well. 
Yeah, get on. a VPN. I don't know. No, nah, <laughs> just like get a visa. Get a visa. <laughs> get a visa. Here. Yeah, come visit. Come stay yeah. with me. We'll binge it all. Get get double vaccinated. We uh, can yeah. we can isolate at Caroline's. It'll be fine. Kids, get a vax. Get a vax, kids. <laughs> at, I just, at, I... at customs, what's your what's your reason for visiting? <laughs> um, Superman and Lois season one. I need to watch <laughs> fifteen episodes of Superman. <laughs> it says on your records here that you only ever come to this country to watch the Green Bay Packers. Well, this time I'm here for Superman and Lois. <laughs> I heard they have two twin sons, and one's the one's the cheeky son, and one's their main son. So, James, I, I I think that is an interesting point that you raised though about Superman adjacent. Uh, because you know this, the, I think that what what's interesting here is that we've already heard about that J.J. Abrams Tanahasi Coates project that mm-hmm. would be a big screen project with a black Superman, and yeah. so it it does kind of feel like it it does feel like a TV version of a black Superman, but not the Superman. It does kind of feel like. That's it, it doesn't feel inherently like that's gonna have the impact. Like if you have a black Clark Kent up on screen, that just feels like it's 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 crazy. No, such a bigger such a bigger thing than no, saying here's Val Zod. No company would do a black version of a of a major superhero and put it on TV first. What a that's a crazy idea. Nobody would do that. What Falcon would do. Okay, look, I, I realize this is the entirely the wrong thing to say on a comic book movie podcast, but, like, there's too much superhero stuff, you guys. I'm <laughs> really starting to get sick of it. Like, it's, it's every time. I don't, like, you know, it used to be like, oh, how exciting, a new press yes. release. And now it can be a thing that theoretically I'm excited about. Like, in theory, cool, a Batgirl series, like, movie, that sounds fun, but it's just like, Jesus Christ, another thing I have to watch and, like, I don't Why? know. I, yeah. I'm worried about me personally getting burnt out on this. And I'm also worried about, like, I do think there will be a, a point when the bubble bursts and our culture yes. is just sick of we, this stuff. And will. I think we yeah. get closer and closer to it every day. We call it on this podcast, we call it the Krypton Factor, Caroline. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, name for it. the fact that there was a, I don't know if you know this, there was a TV show about, and it was on Krypton. And it was Superman's dad and loads of other stuff. And Brainiac, Brainiac was the And one. nobody cares. And nobody saw it. But it yeah. was... It ran for I don't know thirty episodes. This is this is this is what we're talking no, but about. See, this on is, back no, but I but, but this this feels like it is hitting a whole new wave of stuff where you are talking about HBO making a TV show starring Michael B. Jordan as Superman, and we are collectively going. Oh. Yeah, it's insane. It's 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 so weird and. Yeah, you do wonder: Are we are we approaching? Yeah, you know, when when does the superhero movie become the western? Uh, but to do subscribe to the Patreon, it's three dollars <laughs> now, and it's a lot of it's a weekly so, bonus episode. I guess uh, what's I, I guess what's interesting, right, is when when well this wh- where, do, where this do we draw the, the line in terms of what we what we are interested in and what we aren't? Because at the moment certainly on this podcast and I think in the wider culture, we are interested in everything that is in the MCU. And then when it's not in the MCU, we're interested when it's a movie and it looks like it will be good. And then occasionally TV projects that come along and are kind of... But, like, I wonder whether, like, how much longer does the Flareverse have left? 
Like, is is that the kind of stuff that... Or, or you know, has it just become the police procedural where people are like... Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I don't get excited about another CSI, but I'll watch it. Well, I was just going to say that this is going to be the third and fourth, if you count Chronicle, like superhero that Michael B. Jordan has played, right? Because he was in yeah. Fantastic <laughs> Four. He was in Black Panther. I mean, a villain, obviously. But like, okay, you're on your third superhero property. Like, there is a point where it's like, I mean, I think Michael B. Jordan is, like, one of the most talented living actors, and yeah. I'm happy for him to do whatever he wants to do, but you do sort of feel like, okay, I want to see a huge range of your talent and in different genres, ideally, and I don't know. Maybe this will end up being great. Like, HBO is a very good track record with making good TV, but it, it is the sort of thing that, yeah, years ago I probably would have been thrilled by the announcement, and now I'm like, okay, another one. I think for me, it's definitely like there are already God knows how many DC superhero properties on TV. How can I get excited about another? There are like 20, 20 out there that I'm already not watching. This is just going to be one more that I'm not watching. Mm. Um, I think I would be much more excited about this if it had have been Michael B. Jordan has been cast in the Tanahasi Coates Superman movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it felt like he was a big just fan cast when that news came out yeah. the people i mean it's a very obvious you know casting michael b jordan at anything is a very obvious <laughs> casting pull but it is interesting that there would be a parallel project i mean you know obviously to voice the counter argument like we've had years of every white man being in every movie and tv show as a mm. superhero so i don't want to be like the bubble ends just as like more diverse people are getting that opportunity yes but and that's it, why i felt weird about looking at this and going wait there are two black superman projects i'm like yeah, I've just watched a series where there were 12 different white Lokis. You know, right, right. As far as far, <laughs> I can probably get over this. I mean, I, I guess we'll just wait and see, you know, like how they end up turning up being quality wise is going to matter more than the sort of hype cycle around them this early on. Absolutely. It's a bit of a, it's just a bit, it's, pro- it's probably like a bit of a, a PR bust for, for HBO Max in that, you know, you should have just been aware that that was the narrative for the the Tallahassee Coates uh, project, and just kind of gotten ahead of that before announcing this, probably right in 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 in, in hindsight. Uh, either 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 kind of put something out there that he wasn't in the mix for the previous, or or or, or bring the previous into into this as part of the story. But it's yeah, it's it's more we like, see, like I think Mar- I think Marvel are really good at are really good at, and it's all behind the scenes. It's all slightly invisible and subtle, but really good at. At, at managing the, I've the got hype, to be honest, the hype I think train the for most, all their various projects. The most damning thing for me is I wouldn't have heard about this if you hadn't put it in our documents to talk about <laughs> the show. I, I didn't hear this. I did not see this news break. Will they be related? Is this like a TV show that's like a prequel to no the movie? Idea. No We idea. don't know. Well, it's we too don't. early. Maybe we this don't. will be great. We'll see a trailer. We'll be like, wow, this looks incredible. And Yeah, maybe. You never know. Okay, uh, so that, that, that is finally the end of this week's comic book movie and TV news. Uh, let's take a quick break now to listen to the trailer for Loki, and we will be uh, back with, from the very start, our spoiler-filled thoughts on all six episodes of Loki Season 1. I know what this place is. Timekeepers have built quite the circus. And I see the clowns are playing their parts to perfection. 
Big metaphor guy. I love it. Makes you sound super smart. I am smart. I know. Okay. Okay. Please sign to verify this is everything you've ever said. This is absurd. Sign this too. We protect the proper flow of time. You picked up the Tesseract breaking reality. I want you to help us fix it. Why me? I need your unique Loki perspective. Do I get a weapon? Nah. You really believe in this Loki variant? Luckily, he believes in himself enough for the both of us. Why? It is adorable that you think you could possibly manipulate me. I'm ten steps ahead of you. You're not big on trust, are you? You can trust me. Hope you have studied almost every moment of your entire life. You've literally stabbed people in the back like 50 times. I'd never do it again. Okay, so that was the trailer for Loki. Um, I, th I think we can get straight into it. Um, I'm, I'm going to summarise mine and James's feelings for anyone that didn't listen to the Patreon. Uh, kind of our broad feelings on the show. Um, I think, James, you were a lot more into it early on than I was. I kind of, mm -hmm. I kind of picked... I kind of picked up a little bit in the middle where I was like, oh, do I, do I like this? And then episode five and six lost me completely and i think that i dragged you down with me in those last two episodes as well is that fair i mean yeah i was i was mostly okay with the fifth episode it was the sixth that i just thought i actually saw this i'm i'm disappointed <laughs> to the point of it soured you on the rest of the series it, it was sort of retroactively made me hate the rest of it yeah <laughs> um, so i'm gonna try to remember what i enjoyed when we discuss it but oof. so caroline um as i say you've been reviewing this weekly for the av club um what kind of what kind of emotional arc did you go through mm. during these six episodes and was it more interesting than the one that loki went on well i think to be honest <laughs> my biggest overall takeaway is that Getting up at 2 a.m. and or waking up at 5 a.m. to review a TV show is not the ideal way to consume a TV show. And it's, it's, an, it's a necessary evil of the job I have, but I truly felt like a crazy person the nights when I would watch Superman and Lois, review that, stay up till 2 in the morning, watch the new Loki, review that. Maybe that's also why I'm feeling a little superheroed out. Um, I, I actually think I'm not totally dissimilar to you guys in the general arc you had with the show. I think I just felt, I felt your frustrations. They just, I didn't feel them as strongly and it didn't mm -hmm. sort of like, you know, quote unquote, ruin the show for me. But I 
think my favorite, the first episode I like, I'm a hundred percent sold on. I, that first mm-hmm. episode is probably my favorite thing Marvel TV has ever done. I adored it. Um, episode two, I was also like, this is going strong. I think around episode three and four, where you sort of, the show pivots from the Loki Mobius relationship being central to the Loki Sylvie relationship being central. I struggled with that period of the show. Five really won me back. That's the episode with all of the Lokis in the void. Also, that was my like my second favorite episode of the season. And then I think the finale, I, I had a lot of the similar concerns you guys had in terms of just like feeling like this was a wild swerve, but I could also sort of appreciate it as an episode in its own right and sort of still be entertained by it and be like, okay, yeah, this did not fully wrap up the season as I was expecting it to, but I can sort of appreciate it for what it was and be excited for a season two. But I think overall the show like never lived up to the potential that I had put on it based on that first episode. And mm-hmm. I and I do kind of wish there was a version of the show that was more, you know, I was expecting it just to be this twisty, turny, surprising, mischievous thing. And it was sort of weirdly straightforward. And I, a lot of me writing about it was sort of trying yeah. to get on its wavelength as opposed to just being like critiquing it for not being on the wavelength I wanted it to be on. We talked about that on the Patreon, that it, it felt like, you know, we were expecting a twisty, turny show and the way it was set up in episode one felt like that was what it was going to be and what's wild is you get to the end of the series and it is it's a show that basically like it you know this is it has other thoughts in its mind from a character level but on a plot level the plot of the series is loki finds out what's really going on at the tva Mm -hmm. and what's really going on at the tva is kind of exactly what he was told in episode one like, like that little animated sequence with Miss Minutes in episode one, that kind of is the deal at the TVA. The only thing that's different is that the workers at the TVA are variants. But that's interesting for the workers at the TVA. It's not interesting mm-hmm. for Loki. And then, yeah, as you say, kind of like wild structurally that you're after those first two episodes, you're like, okay, so I'm here for this series about loki and mobius and then after episode two you kind of go what why did we spend so much time with mobius because it doesn't feel like he's an important character in the show (laughs) it is a fast it is fascinating to like this experience of watching these shows week to week is fascinating when you look back when they're done and you know i think wandavision this was a big part of the conversation of so much speculation and and then not all of it turning out to be true or relevant in any way. And it is interesting, like, in some ways, Loki's different because the sort of, you know, big conspiracy theory people had about who was behind it all, like, did turn out to be true in a surprising way. But it almost feels like emotionally I was doing more speculating on when things, where things were heading. And that's the stuff that didn't pay off exactly. And it does, it does almost feel like that stuff didn't pay off because they are leaving it for a second season, more so than with any of the other shows. Like, I... You know, it's not totally dissimilar from, like, something that would Lost would do, right? Like, I feel like Lost was very famous for ending Ooh, on these kind of vague, uh, sort of unsatisfying like, cliffhangers. Tread <laughs> lightly. No, no, And I don't mean this as an insult to Lost. Like, I actually kind of mean this as a compliment to Loki. Like, Loki is sort of like an old-school TV show in that it ends on a cliffhanger. And, like, TV shows just don't really do that anymore. So, in some ways, I think things that people are critiquing this as being, like, oh, it was just all franchise building for the MCU and you just got to go watch the next movies. And, like, that could be true. But this could also be, like... Lost season one, where it's 
a sort of vague, unsatisfying cliffhanger, but you hold on and then you get interesting stuff in season two. I love the Lost Season 1 cliffhanger. (laughs) The Lost Season 1 cliffhanger is frustrating when you're watching season one because you're like, for the past six episodes, all I've wanted to know is what's in the hatch. And now what you're saying to me is, I'm not telling you who's in the hatch. Incredible. And then the question that you are asking going into the season two premiere is, what's in the hatch? I don't know what I don't know what question I'm supposed to be asking going into Loki season two, other than like, so, so what's going on? <laughs> Did any of that just count? Because what, it's uh, all been undone. Yeah. What? What is just my question going into? Like, mm. I don't. I don't feel like I have a specific thing to hang on to. So it's not for me. It's not that it's unresolved. It's that I feel like I'm at the same place that I was with the show throughout going, I still don't really feel like I understand the rules of this world. And um, I, I don't know whether that matters to the show. I, feel, I, just, I just feel like I'm at a slight remove from it. And I can't, I still feel unable to really get a grip on what it's doing. And I thought I, that is what I did think I would be able to have by the end of the first season. But... Mm-hmm. And maybe we will get there, but I, I'm not quite there yet. Reese, uh, I'm aware you haven't weighed in yet. Um, I think I know where you stand on this based on conversations we've had off mic. But yeah, where where do you fall on the on the Loki spectrum? Uh, I hated it, uh, <laughs> um, but I was I was completely with Caroline at the beginning, and maybe you were that's you were all in on episode. I was one. so all in. I was like, this this is the best Marvel episode i've seen uh of the three um yeah. i like probably loved it loved the world loved the loved the loved the performance loved the the aesthetic the the, the questions was was all 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 in and i was thinking oh well Fal- falcon the winter soldier was a bit of an aberration you know and it wasn't that but it wasn't as bad as the the consensus is for me so like th- this is going to show that this is these guys really can do this TV stuff. And then by the end, I, I, you know, again, similar journey where once I just think it became clear for me mid midway through the season episode, you know, episode three and four, that, that I, I just, I, I, like, I fundamentally don't think that the people making this knew how to make a, t- a TV show. A TV show, basically. yeah. Uh, and, and then the, you know, and then the ending, a step, you know, uh, confirmed that for me <laughs> that they didn't know how to make a TV show. Yeah, for me, um, the the cliffhanger yeah. ending, the idea of this cliffhanger ending would have been a lot easier to take had they not announced it after after the final credits. Because I I said to Joe going in, well, it's been a bit of a bumpy ride, but at least we'll, you know, at least it's this is the end. And I think by that and he then meant the, we, will, the ending, we, will, we will get closure and the story will at least make yeah, sense. Yeah, we'll get closure on the story and the story will be complete. And what they actually did was go, it felt to me like they just sort of threw their arms up and went, oh, we don't know what we're doing with this episode, but mm. we're going hit, to hit the reset button and we'll figure it out next season. And I've just got no confidence that they'll be able to get themselves to a conclusion. And I think as well, you know, it got brought up in the last Patreon episode that, that Joey and James did. Uh... And I, I did. I did text them. I, I think after episode four, that I thought that Hiddleston was giving a career-alteringly <laughs> bad performance. I stick. I do stick by that. That's a wild uh, take for me. <laughs> I stick by that. But and I think if you like, again go back to the Lost comparison with that with that cliffhanger. That I remember. You know, I was 
you know, this is what this, what's the statute of limitations? You know, it's been a, a while. I torrented all of the first season of Lost a, a week to week as it happened. Oh God, don't tell UK Joe. Viewer um, and watch, you know, watch that episode. Uh, you know, as my as a what, how old would I have been? Sixteen. I don't know. Watched it, you know, li- kind of live with all the American blogs that I was reading, and and I was a- absolutely as pissed off as as the wider community seemed to be. But the diff- the thing that the, the, for me the difference is that. As the Loki, you know, again, it was kind of a short season, six episodes. You know, I was so, I was so with the character. I'm, I'm not sure the Thor, the Thor pocket of the MCU is my favourite, but it's, you know, I, I I enjoy it, and I enjoy Loki, and I enjoyed the Loki bit in in uh, Avengers and uh, in, in Game. But and I was with him from the, from the first episode. I was kind of emotionally, I I, I was with with yeah. that character, with that performance. But quite quickly, again, by by about mid season, I was just. I just thought his performance was so was so not what it what it had ever been, and sort of not really with the tone of the show, and not there was I didn't think there was much chemistry with Sylvie or the other Lokis or or even really with uh, with Owen Wilson, and so you get to that sixth that sixth episode, and I just genuinely didn't care about that about that character that version of the character, uh, and yes, it was a it was it was a weird and bad cliffhanger also, but I just I just I just didn't care at all about about that version of Loki and I think I think you know to have done that in in a six hour span or whatever you know five hours and 20 probably really you know not including credits I think that is that's kind of on Hiddleston I think and I think it's a I think the performance the performance is so dreadful and 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 makes you rethink (laughs) everything about him as him as an actor and also (laughs) the character of Loki right that it's right you know that's, Caroline, so that's my view. Caroline, <laughs> I, I know you don't agree with that, and I'm going to need you to fight with Reese now. To defend. Well, here's what I'll say. I feel like I've just spent the past 10 years really fighting against the impulse to love Tom Hiddleston. Do you know what I mean? I think he's very talented, but he sort of has the vibe of a certain type of, like, straight theater fuck boy that's like, <laughs> that like really it's like you know but in a nice do you know what i mean it's like ooh, let me like sit and like you can help me with my shakespeare lines and like i'll be so sensitive to you but then i won't be emotionally available when you need me to be like there's a lot of that that i find like very specifically you, triggering as a person that went to theater school so i really like that quote going around twitter that um Owen Wilson had said that uh, that Tom Hiddleston had turned to him between scenes and said, "Have you ever played Hamlet?" Yeah, they talk <laughs> about it in the little behind the scenes. Um, yes, like special. Me. It yeah. was very cute. But anyway, I so I go into this like I've never really been like a Loki, you know, fangirl or like super into Tom Hiddleston. So if anything, I think he had like an uphill battle to win me over. You guys, I was so into it, and I'm like, I really, the show has made me admit that Tom Hiddleston is very hot. Like, I just, I finally <laughs> have given in to this reality. Uh, great costuming on his little outfit. I, Listen, I sorry, do... com- comedy rule of threes, we all need to acknowledge Tom Hiddleston. Definitely way too sexy to play Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm done now. <laughs> um, I agree that he, they transform him from... You know, the MCU went from sort of, they weirdly went from like anti hero Loki to full villain Loki to anti hero Loki to like semi hero mm-hmm. Loki. Mm-hmm. And the show, in trying to get him to sort of where he is in Ragnarok Infinity War when he dies, they sort of want to rush to get him to that point. And then they also want to rush to get him into full hero mode. And I think there is, I would be curious to know when the show creators decided to do a season two. 
and I would not be surprised if they ended up making that decision like partway through production There's because a it sense feels of like that a show from the interviews, isn't there? There really is a sense yeah. of that. And it feels like a show that was rushing to cram all of its character development into six episodes and then at the end was like, "Oh shit, we actually want to do a season 2, so let's just like leave a bunch of plot threads going because I think if you sort of know you're going to do a season 2, you don't get Loki as like soft and heroic as he is by the end of this. You sort of leave him in that more prickly like Ragnarok uh dark world mode mm. and I th- I do think it is like it does there are times where it feels like Tom Hiddleston's just playing a totally different character so I'm with you on that Reese it's just that like I also enjoyed watching that performance like soft romantic <laughs> hero I said in one of my reviews like I want him to play Cyrano de Bergerac because I think he's very good at being like mm-hmm. outwardly brash but like inwardly very anxious and self-conscious like romantic hero i think that's a good mold for him does that feel like loki no not really and so the show's asking you to make like a big leap in terms of accepting that this is all the same character and i get why that would be like a bridge too far for a lot of people that's think... uh, one of the reasons why wolverine origins was coming to mind for me because i was like mm-hmm. well, they've taken this really fun guy and made him a protagonist and in doing that have removed everything that was cool about him in his previous appearances it's it's an interesting part because I, I I'll be honest I am closer to Caroline I think Tom Hiddleston is it's doing hot. I, well he's definitely hot <laughs> he's doing he's oh my god have you seen that montage of all his hair flips from this yeah. season oh my god um, he I I don't think he's giving a bad performance I think by the latter stages of the season he is not being written very interestingly and not playing to his talents um but i I, it's it's tricky right because they they have put him in the role of protagonist and they want to you know they want to find the route into character arc you know to, to like what is the character arc for this guy as a lead over six episodes and you know as i said we kind of half seen it already in the other mcu movies so they kind of have to half do that and it has to still be on that path and then it has to go beyond that um i'm just not convinced that this is the most interesting and fun version of loki to watch and i the the one thing that i think that i i was definitely an outlier from most people on was in the episodes that people were enjoying more of this show they were definitely having more fun than me. I I, I was kind mm-hmm. of a bit self-conscious about how little fun I was having watching the show that I thought I was going to really, you know, I thought that that was going to be the base level of, even if it's kind of, you know, light, fluffy nonsense, at least it's going to be Loki cadding about and, uh, you know, I'm going to have fun with that. There wasn't enough of that. It was so serious. Yeah. yeah and, Epi- and, and episode and two. Serious. And it, episode two for me is the one where they actually, they get that tone right where him and uh, Mobius are sort of yes. investigating where this other Loki is, and Loki's having fun sort of He's coming up with theories, demonstrating Pompeii. and testing them, yeah, and like trying to outwit the TVA at the same time. Like, that's the version of Loki that I wanted to see throughout, and they just threw that away after episode two. Uh, yeah, and I-, I am also conscious that three MCU shows in, it does feel like that is the way into character. And I don't know, like, I, I, I kind of feel like trauma and self-doubt and, um, you know, really dwelling on those 
negative like there has to be other ways into superhero stories and that's why i'm 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 kind of really excited for miss marvel more than any of the other shows because it feels like it feels like how can that not be a fun hopeful show that yeah it's probably gonna have teen angst in it but that that's not going to be the primary emotion Um, i think we we are giving this show we are giving loki so far i think a pass incorrectly because (laughs) because we are I think the mistake is to say that Loki is is unsatisfying for myself, Joe and James, because it doesn't give us the the, the version of Loki from the MCU previously that we w- would want, or it's it's too different, and 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 so that's that's an issue for us. I think the the, the issue with the show is that it doesn't it, it fails by its by its own uh, standards, fails by its own expectations. You know, it's it's kind of plucked to Loki from a piece of the timeline so you know it's gotten to pick a version of this character that it's gotten to choose uh and it's gotten to tell a story that it wants to tell and it and it just i think it fails it so fails at at telling a compelling story of, of the character it wants to tell a story you know then uh, no tv shows have to exist right so it, I, it, it's chosen to to be this and then it chooses this and it fails to do what it's picked to do and i think that's the that that ought to be the the, the criticism of the show, you know, against our own, our own expectations of what it might be. Listen, uh, I'm, I, I have decided that it's my role in this episode to be Mephisto's advocate. And <laughs> um, I I think that's where I disagree. And I, I, like, because for me, it's like, I, I, I think, I think with Loki, it, it at least knows the story it wants to tell. Um, on a on a character level, I think it it sets up most of those character beats, most of those character insecurities in the first episode. It reminds you of who this guy is, what has previously made him tick, and why that might be unfulfilling. And then tries to and and then I think at least knows what it wants to do with that character in terms of you know. Uh, making him less selfish making him not want to be alone uh making him be in a position where he can trust people and want to be trusted himself um and see and 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 be told look you are in a in a show that is about you know you are you are confined to this particular fate you are destined to be this thing showing a character really struggling to be more than that it, I I think my problem is the way it primarily the pacing and the structure of the series that gets him there, and and then you know going back to what I said before, which I think the I think the version of that character to begin with is is more fun to watch than the version that we end up with. So, you know what's funny is that sorry I just kind of interrupted. Yeah, you no, there, no, but, go, go, go. Um, when you look at the MCU as a whole, like I feel like the movie that people most associate with Loki is the first Avengers movie, but I actually think that's the that is the movie where he's most out of character. Like if you look at Loki the TV show and the first Thor and Dark World and Ragnarok and Infinity War, mm. those all feel like one person and the like full fascist dictator from Avengers <laughs> is sort of like, oh yeah, he's not like this. Even in the first Thor, he's not like that. Like he's way softer. Mm-hmm. So it is weird. Like I agree, Reese, it is really weird to like pick him at that most villainous and then be like, we're not going to deal with that element mm. of it. It, but I also get it because it it feels like it was 
Avengers that messed up in, in categorizing uh, in that way. I think the Avengers I think it's just because the Avengers is the biggest movie where he plays that significant a part. But the the Avengers is essentially a tantrum, right? It's uh Sure. It's a tantrum to, to the kid reacting to falling off a rainbow bridge. I, I fell off a <laughs> yeah, I fell off a rainbow bridge and um uh, my daddy never loved me, and it turns out he wasn't my daddy anyway. And fuck my brother. Um, I, I, I'm just gonna watch the world burn. <laughs> like that's I, I. Yeah, I see that movie as a tantrum. Yeah, um, and he does have that one softer moment at the end. I think it's been a while since I've seen it, but I. But he has that softer moment where Thor's like, "We can stop this together," and he's like, "It's too late." I, I guess if you read Avengers as being Loki most out of character, I'm a little more on board with how quickly they get Avengers era Loki to where they get him to. I just think that when Loki and Mobius are together, they the show finds a really good way to keep just a little bit of antagonism in Tom Hiddleston's performance, right? Like, he <laughs> is nice and heroic, but there's still a little bit of, like, eh, I'm messing with your salad, and we're having these little banter arguments, and I may be kind of tr- trying to trick you here. For me, where the show really trips up is the way that they want to sell the Loki-Sylvie love story. Instead of being mm-hmm. like, let's keep Loki's sparky personality around, they immediately like melt him into like a puppy dog. And to me, that's like doesn't feel like a way I would expect Loki to be in a romantic relationship. And it's like not an interesting take on the character to have him be like, I don't care about myself. I only care about you. Like, I love you so much. <laughs> it's like so soft. And it's like, there are interesting ways to write... You know, like, think about Tony and Pepper, right? Like, that's a relationship mm-hmm. that always had a lot of sparky banter to it, even when they were at their sweetest as a couple. And I think there would be a way to keep that little bit of sense to Loki, that little mm-hmm. bit of, like, antagonism to him with Sylvie. But the show, like, I don't think the show's very good at writing romance, and it pivots so hard to the romance and that it then so makes Loki quickly. feel so out of character. It's, I think it's... I think you're really right in that the, the relationship between Loki and Mobius feels more like how Loki would be in a romance. Like yeah, he would yeah. be he would be jabbing someone and prodding them and mm. like trying to get a reaction because that's that's the kind of way he knows how to get attention. Or parts like that of, is Loki all over of episode like, look three, at me. Right? Yeah. Part, part, but... Episode three plays kind of it plays kind of like the rom com where you set up set up the two opposites that you know we'll wear each other down by the end. But actually, when I was watching that episode, I didn't know that that was where we were going with it. Um, so it just felt like here are two Lokis uh, kind of sparking up against each other. Um, and it's, yeah, it, and, it, and it's, a, it, it's such a misreading, I think, of the audience, of the... You know, I, I, it's almost like someone at, someone at Marvel has gone, oh, oh, people sort of stand Loki and... Or you know, you know, there's this community that, that that community exists. So we should pair Loki up with with somebody. But I just think you you get to that those moments, and, and you know, yeah. And Joey, to your point, it's so telling that at the end of that episode, at the end, I guess that's the end of episode two. I think like the consensus that was certainly my own opinion, but but the consensus from reviews was like you know oh well this is probably this probably isn't a romance story starting here <laughs> like it's this is not what this is because 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 nobody you know who wants this who who's who's craving for this this is a loki show no one's coming to this loki show wanting for loki to to find love that's just not that just feels really not what <laughs> not connected to this character and they held and, that, and yet disney they held is, that is, moment for that. 10 minutes into episode four 
Mm-hmm. So that so the moment where that happens is ten minutes into episode four, and where that really needs to build to to like reach its climax in that there is really no room for development after this is five minutes into episode six because after that they're going to get talked at and then they're going to need to make a decision. So those characters have already reached as far as they will mm. in the course of the two episodes between now and then. The two episodes between now and then they spend half of an episode together hmm. it there's just not much there's not much room in there and caroline i get the sense that the the sylvie side of the show is really what that that was the thing that was more of an impediment to you than than the rest of the stuff yeah i'm curious i'm really curious to talk about this with you guys because it was definitely it was the part of the show i struggled with the most and i feel like to some degree in my reviews i even held back on fully getting into how much it was bothering me because I was like maybe this will have a resolution and this is like will feel like a nitpick in retrospect (laughs) and then in retrospect it didn't quite feel so much like a nitpick um yeah basically Sylvie didn't work for me as a character and the Sylvie Loki relationship therefore also didn't work for me at all and I'm like almost hesitant to voice there's something to me about being like I found this female character annoying and I didn't want romance that sounds so much like what a misogynistic fanboy would say that I am like, I, I, maybe that's why I was so like, okay, take your time. Maybe this mm. will have a payoff. But I think that ultimately, Sylvie, to me, did not feel like a Loki. Like, if, if yeah. this was a show and she just existed, and if I was just watching a show and nobody was named, and at the end I knew one of the mm. characters was going to turn out to be a Loki, you know, one of the characters in the MCU, I would never pick her as the said, one. You know what I mean? Like, you just I said would Mobius, pick, wouldn't you? Sure, you or Mobius even... Even, um, like, if we're going MCU-wide, like, if you had told me that, like, Jeff Bridges in the first Iron Man was secretly a Loki, (laughs) that totally checks out, right? Like, his personality is, I'm going to pretend to be nice and then at the end betray you. That, to me, is, like, Loki's, like, I sweet-talk you and then I betray you. Sylvie is, like, I am actively angry and petulant and fight and don't really make long-term plans, which, to me, is nothing like a Loki. So the show can be, like, ooh, isn't it interesting that she's also a Loki? I'm like, it feels like she's only that because you're saying it, not because of anything that's coming across in the writing or the performance. And so then the question of what makes a Loki, I'm like, well, I don't know because it doesn't really feel like she is one. (laughs) So I I agree there. I I like the performance because I think that Sofia de Martino is doing, I think she's doing the best version of the character that's there on the page. Sure. Uh, I think she's charismatic. I thought that in the moments where the show, other than the kiss itself, in the moments where the show told you was telling you, you have to buy into this romance right now, the only reason I was doing to any extent was because of the two performances. Um, but I agree with you, and I think for half of the show, and even now, I'm not fully convinced she is a Loki. And that's partly because I don't understand the rules of the show. I don't understand... Uh, so, if they're all variants, uh, that when uh, surely, if we are t- if we are being told that the show we're watching up until the end, which it seems like now the show is finished, this is clear, right? We are on a sacred timeline, a single timeline, and when there are deviations from the timeline that creates variants, they are pruned and removed, and we have a single timeline. So I I, I don't. I don't, I don't understand how how there is a female Loki. And I don't and, and I don't understand how there's a crocodile Loki. I don't nice. I don't I don't understand I don't understand how that like are they 
are they from a multiverse previous to the sacred timeline? Because within the can I yeah can go I on. jump I'm... in yeah so the the implication I get right is that timelines are only pruned when they deviate significantly enough from mm-hmm. the main timeline that they could cause a problem. That's how, for example, old Loki gets to exist for centuries, hiding off by himself. But as soon as he starts interfering with the timeline and trying to interact with other people, that becomes significant enough to create a significant divergence, which must be pruned. So, so the, so the sacred the timeline ti- is still. Well, that's the thing, right? What what they have is a multiverse. They're they're telling us there is one timeline, but what there actually are are lots of very similar timelines, and if one scoots off too differently. It gets pruned. Listen, I'm but just gonna. I'm just gonna say this. It's really hard to to buy that because, like, is there a multiverse or not? Do you want us to care yeah. that there's a multiverse when they create a new one at the end or not? Like, and if you're telling me that there is a time what uh, there is a timeline where it is possible for a crocodile to be Loki, and that has not <laughs> millennia ago de- deviated significantly <gasps> away from the sacred timeline, right? Right. Like, it, imagine just like. Uh, Anthony Hopkins just like raising an alligator sign. <laughs> like everything else is the same. And they're yeah. just like, look at this, is our alligator son. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like the thing. Uh, he he figured especially... out he was adopted real early. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I get that, you know, I think, I think sci fi shows are resistant, especially ones that feel like they want to um, attract a, a more mainstream audience, are resistant to get too detailed about rules and you know the exposition related to that i kind of i i get i, I get that. Mm-hmm. But, but, if that but if your show is baked into we are yeah. leading towards the creation yeah. of the multiverse they got it wrong kate heron has said that was yeah. that you know the man the two mandated yeah. things were this is a loki show it ends with the creation of the multiverse yeah so, so and not they, even they the introduction out. of kang the creation of the multiverse yeah. and I, I i still i still don't really understand the rules and you know, the, the, you know, we're the, if if those are the mandates, right? You know, mandate is the, you end with the with the construction of the multiverse, which which the show does do. But but because the rules for all the related stuff are so unclear, uh, I wonder whether again, if you're Feige, you're like, you know, you are disappointed then with that with how with how that has ended because well, no, I, I because think... as an audience member, it's not it's not. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I don't think. I. I think if anything, they had the movie people saying to them like, introduce a multiverse, but don't make it too explicit how it works, because mm-hmm. if you set down any rules and we then break them in a movie, that breaks our universe and like, reverses the idea that your TV show well, had any I mean, influence on the rest they, of it. They best know what the rules are because I'm just checking my notes here yeah we've got Spi- <laughs> spider-man no way home and doctor strange in the multiverse of madness are two of the next <laughs> two of the next four movies yeah in the and MCU. I, my feeling right is that those movies will proceed as if the multiverse had always existed which is to say the same way as any other tv show you'll have multiple parallel timelines where things are completely different you know one universe is the nazi universe or whatever <laughs> Um, Which they literally did just, on Flowerverse. Yeah, right. And it would just be, it would just work the same way any other timeline works. The only reason the rules matter is because they set them up as the stakes for the TVA and for Loki. 
But that's, that's and that, that, they've that, they've that, poorly defined the rules to the extent that the show doesn't work on its own terms. That's so frustrating then, because you know then you have a show where where the the, the details of the of, of all of that don't matter because you're gonna you're gonna do a more ge- sort of general audience version of, of of the multiverse after the fact. So therefore, you don't need to to to, to make those specifics happen. But then you have like like you know t- minutes and minutes and minutes of exposition on those mm-hmm. details mm-hmm. in the show that that don't actually need to matter to the wider to the wider purpose. Taking away from minutes that you could be spending, you know, telling a story like you know, vesting us as an audience in in these characters. So it's sort of I think that's, if that's any, so frustrating. Any right? fair criticism you can level against Loki, it's that there is a lot of telling and not so much showing. I, my my. And uh, James, I wonder if this comes back to your frustration about the finale, uh, or why and, and why particularly the finale kind of painted the rest of the show negatively for you. Uh, like what what I found so frustrating in the finale was, I could see how that could function as an as an episode of television, because as of you know as I said on our Patreon episode, I like the architect scene in the Matrix Reloaded. Mm-hmm. I I I. I think it works, and I know it got made fun of a lot. And you know, Lo- the the people behind Loki knew what they were doing with Jonathan Majors. Apparently, like they had uh, they had um, the architect as a specific reference point mm. for that. So they knew they knew what they were doing, and I think there is a version of that that works, and there is a version of that episode that works. But it just felt so disconnected from loki's story and it felt like such a regurgitation of information that the show had already presented to me mm-hmm. all it was doing was we are confirming the stuff that you've already been told is true um this doesn't really mean anything to you loki as a character and 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 it it just felt like sitting down and being told stuff we already knew again and that was my biggest complaint with episode one which i do think in retrospect was the best episode of the show but my biggest complaint was there's so much exposition here which is explaining stuff that if you're an MCU fan, you already know. It's like, let's sit down and watch these clips from these movies and let's tell you how Loki acts um, and let's catch him up on his character arc that you've seen but he hasn't actually experienced yet. And yeah, for that for that final episode to be just grounded in here is information you already know told to two characters who don't really get a chance to react other than to like just Loki to go on repeat I believe him and Sylvie to go on repeat I don't believe him uh, it, it just it just didn't feel like the right finale for that show or for either of those characters and then for really the central conflict at the end of the show to be well the central relationship and the central conflict to be Loki and Sylvie I think yes, there is what what Caroline said. You know, believing them as two two different versions of the same character is one leap, but also just for that to be a character that we didn't really meet for the first two episodes of the show, and that didn't really spend that much time together, mm-hmm. and we're being asked to invest so much emotionally in those final moments on that and on and on that kiss and on that betrayal, and really what the episode and, and doing that through the prism of Jonathan Majors will talk at you for 40 minutes 
I have been really fascinated by the question of how the pandemic impacted all of these shows. Oh, and I yeah. think it was it was a big the biggest talking point around Falcon and the Winter Soldier because there were all those rumors of did they cut a full subplot? And I think it was more of a also more of a talking point around WandaVision. But even for Loki, so my understanding of the timeline of like how this unfolded in real time was they had filmed like a good chunk of the season, then mm-hmm. they shut down for the pandemic. They basically edit together the entire first episode during the pandemic and in that edit discover that they really like the sort of talky conversational dynamic that (laughs) owen wilson and tom hiddleston have and they really make a conscious choice of like okay that's what we want the vibe of our show to be is this like almost subversively conversational thing Mm. you know series that you wouldn't expect and they during the pandemic basically rewrite all of it i think or good chunks of episode five and six the last two and Joanna Robinson, who's a Vanity Fair reporter who hosts a podcast called Still Watching, she she caveated this as being gossip, but she had heard that originally the plan was for Kang to just be a post credit scene in the uh, finale, which obviously is very different than, or not Kang, he who remains, whatever, Jonathan Majors, to just be a post credit scene. And, you know, clearly, if that was ever the plan, that was not the plan here. That changed pretty dramatically. And even in the way Kate Heron talks about it in interviews, it's like, okay, we started the show with a very conversation heavy episode and we're going to do all that climactic fighting Eliath stuff in the penultimate episode and then go back to the sixth episode being really chatty too which i can like really appreciate on an intellectual level and i really really like jonathan major's performance which i know you guys didn't <laughs> but i think that i also understand the weakness of like going back to conversational there when it's with a brand new character well, does not necessarily it, it, feel satisfying. Uh, so this this is, I think, I, I did. I God, I'm sorry, I did this so much on um, our Black Widow episode, just picking out a particular word you've said, and I'm, I, I want to, <laughs> <laughs> I want to um, challenge. I've already forgotten all the words that I've said, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to be challenged on them, but I might not have a defense. <laughs> so conversational is the one that I, uh-huh, I, I want uh-huh. to challenge you on, and we actually, I. Um, tweeted out prior to this episode about um asking our listeners if they had anything that they wanted to ask us i think we've covered some of them already um and uh chris o'connor tweeted us and said that the finale got criticized and i think by this he means by us uh for being a bit character development based (laughs) when they've done the big fight thing in the other ones and they got criticized for that so is it a bit rock and hard place and this is what I mean about I feel like there is a version of this episode that I could have really liked and it would have been a conversational one. But mm-hmm. this episode doesn't feel conversational to me. It feels like Jonathan Majors monologues at them. And he doesn't mono- he doesn't monologue like I don't feel like you come to the end of it and go, "Oh, I I like I really understand he who remains as a character." And there was some really interesting banter and in- interplay between Sylvie and he just walked in and, and like you know monologued and sylvie went bullshit and loki went mm, but maybe and that felt like that felt like the entire episode and i yeah i intellectually i love the idea of this show building to a big climax and doing the architect scene i just i just thought it was it was executed badly and it's interesting you're talking about Caroline the the Kate Heron stuff and Kate Heron I feel like there's kind of been a united front in the way that the show has been talked about by people involved that I don't necessarily buy everything that they're saying um 
there's uh, I get the sense that episode six was maybe conceived as an episode, but what they didn't know was whether they had Jonathan Majors or whether they had someone else. Mm. So he who remains could have been a smaller part that there would have you know and maybe they reach maybe they reach the citadel 20 minutes from the end rather than a full episode mm-hmm. from the end and they have that showdown and someone gets stunt cast for one episode maybe it is another loki maybe you know maybe it's whoever and he who remains is like look i'm in charge of the multiverse or i'm in charge of the sacred timeline i am the timekeeper and um you can choose if you want to if you want to fuck this up then who knows someone what someone worse might come along and that the pandemic kind of allowed for the jonathan major stuff and he came in and it became him um i mean it is a wild gamble like here's what i will say i think clearly they knew they were doing something intentionally like wild right like you do not Mm -hmm. just give your finale over to a brand new character and be like oh this is a logical Mm. thing oh we're surprised people didn't like it like i do give them points for that sort of like (laughs) really gutsy move whether or not you think it worked like that is a very like intentionally subversive thing to do and i almost feel like that part of it got lost in like whether or not people liked it but it's like yeah that is really ballsy (laughs) you know we want this show to be wacky like that is a a really wild thing to do and then it does really just entirely hinge on how interesting how you know interesting you find that performance i loved it this is like full you know we're talking about like tom hiddleston being theater school kid like jonathan majors also is like yale school drama like in his interviews has been talking about you know, pulling from his clown training and his Commedia dell'arte <laughs> training. And I'm like, yes, yes, like I eat this up. I love this. I will say, listeners, check out this movie, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which is the first thing I saw Jonathan Majors in. I think he is giving an excellent performance in that movie. Not totally dissimilar to what he's doing in Loki, but sort of maybe in a context people might find more satisfying. Yeah. Um, but it does entirely hinge. Like if that performance doesn't work for you, mm. you're entirely screwed because they are fully gambling on that being the thing. And I, and I think another aspect to that, so Keith Newman tweeted us and said, if you didn't know Jonathan Majors had been cast in Ant-Man mm. like he didn't, or didn't recognise him on site, do you think it would affect your enjoyment, understanding of the finale, or do you think prior knowledge of the character matters? And I think that is, a, that is an interesting wrinkle as well, isn't it? For because sure. they don't they don't say Kang. And, you know, I'm convinced coming out of this episode that that's not Kang. That is, I, I just got the vibe that... Mm. Jonathan Majors was able to take all of those wild swings because he was like, I'm going to do everything that I'm not doing with the character I'm actually building. Mm -hmm. I am, I am like a version of this character who has been sat alone in the Citadel with just an animated clock to, Mm -hmm. to befriend him for eons. Um, And I'm going to, I'm going to make all of the wild swings. I think the reason I didn't like that performance was it I didn't get that from that character. I didn't get it like didn't, he was. It didn't he was have like, any I... emotional truth to it. Was my mm. thing like? Yeah, he didn't even seem like he was ranting and insane. He seemed coherent, but it was like they went. And what's what's the opposite of what you would expect from a sort of centuries old? Yeah, like he was like, I'm, at the I'm, end of his. I'm tired telling. and I'm done and I'm just ready for this to end. And you're like, well, really, you seem to be having a great time. You seem to be yeah. having an absolute blast. <laughs> like... It's funny because I actually relate it, and we were talking about this off mic, but I relate it to like in our sort of like 
easing out of the pandemic world, like going back to making small talk with people <laughs> and being like, I'm talking a lot and what is happening and I'm energetic, but I'm also so overwhelmed. I was like, that's kind of what I was getting from his performance. Like, <laughs> oh, I haven't spoken to people in thousands of years and I'm a little too hype, but I'm also like sort of tired and I'm trying to balance all these things. And so I did kind of buy it as somebody who was weirdly both tired, but like very wound up and energized in a way they hadn't been in a thousand years and was sort of like letting all that energy out at the same time. I wonder as well, Caroline, whether you're bringing, you're bringing your positive, uh, you know, experience of Jonathan Majors to this performance. And I'm bringing, I've, I've, I'll be honest, I've only seen him in The Five Bloods and I didn't love mm. him in that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm aware that he's given lots of very critically acclaimed performances elsewhere. So I'm not, I'm not sat here going, he's a bad actor. I just have to go, this performance didn't work for me. Um, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. If it doesn't work for you, that's the gamble of a show that's very conversational. Yeah. Like, this is my problem with Sylvie, right? Like, this performance and this character didn't work for me. And I, it just needs to for the show to work. And there's not a lot to hold on to if something doesn't happen to connect to you. Okay, and I, I and I want to use that as a as a pivot point for this discussion. And guys, I want to I want to take you into the mind of Joey. Um, I think, oh, this is <laughs> the maybe. multiverse of madness. Yeah, oh, oh genuinely. <laughs> um, three four weeks ago, um, I went on a stag do and was able to see some mm -hmm. of my friends in 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 real life for the first time in quite a while, and it was great and um we couldn't do an awful lot because of uh, pandemic restrictions but we went to a green king pub and uh, racked up a 600 pound bill between like 10, ten of us <laughs> which is is more impressive than it sounds <laughs> we drank a lot of port <laughs> we drank a lot, a, a lot of port um <laughs> then we went back to our, our airbnb and we smoked cigars and we drank whiskey and uh, me and two of my friends were sat up until five of the morning, five in the morning, uh, just setting the world to rights. And one of our long discussions that we were having was, um, uh, I don't know why this came up, but the movie Joker came up. And I mentioned that, <laughs> that I did not care for Joker. And... My friend was like, ah, this is, a this is such a long road, by the way, to get to a very basic point. <laughs> but I just, just, just come with me on this journey. Um, and I, I, I was like, yeah, I don't like it. And he was like, yeah, yeah, this is just typical, Joe. You just don't, you, you know, you you always have to have the, the take that is different. And I'm like, no, I just like, I honestly just didn't like it. And he's like, and what? And so that makes it bad. And I'm like... No, I think when I was like 21, I would have said, yes, that makes I, Joker is bad. I think Joker is bad. So it's bad. And I think increasingly where I've got to the point with all of this stuff, right, is and I and I was having this very kind of like existential, very drunk on whiskey conversation. <laughs> um, but I was like, I just think where I've got to at this point of my life is. I really care about what I think about pop culture, right? It means a lot to me. When I watch a movie, I I care about what my opinion is after it. And I log it on my letterbox and I'm like, ah, to just give an example for the last 24 hours. Joe thinks that Magnum Force is an inferior sequel to Dirty Harry, right? <laughs> but... Like that matters to me. It doesn't. It doesn't matter more broadly, right? People don't like 
No one gives a shit what I think about stuff. Maybe a couple of people listening to this are interested, but it probably they're just like, they're only interested to see whether they agree or disagree. My point being, Loki's been quite popular, and I think it has been broadly well-received. And I think, Caroline, you are on the spectrum of this podcast. You know, uh, I, I actually think, because I'm surprised that I'm on a podcast where I've, I'm not the person who dislikes this the most because Reese clearly not a fan. <laughs> um, but I think the show works for people a lot better than it worked for us. Generally, I think the finale definitely works better a lot. Yeah, a lot better for a lot of people than it did for us. I mean, you know, regular guests in this podcast, Amon Warman you know, was treating on the day of the mm-hmm. finale about, you know, like it was great to finally see something significant and, and loved that, loved that final episode. And like, he was waiting for the moment where something in these shows would matter. And I just didn't see that, but I, I but what, I guess what I'm trying to say in a really long winded uh, way here is I think it's, and, and this is why I think every snob who ever goes like, you know, like, Oh, God, another Marvel movie. You know, like, we did, like, what we, that's all we hear about. And it's like, surely, if you are interested in pop culture, at the very least, what we should try and do is understand why people are interested in pop, in that pop culture. Like, sure, you might not like it, and I didn't like this thing. But we should really try and get to grips with, like, you know, like, why why is this the zeitgeisty franchise right now? Why are people so, like, why do they gravitate so much towards superheroes right now? And in particular, the MCU. And I do wonder whether, is, is, the, is the great overarching appeal of the MCU... Is it its inter- interconnectivity, right? And it's the Easter eggs and it's how it all relates to each other and how it's all one interconnected universe. And just sitting down and talking to an audience maybe for an hour and saying, um, we care about this shit as much as you do. Like, like mm-hmm. the, we're, we're just going to sit here and explain it to you. And even though I kind of think that it doesn't do anything massive or major in that final episode, it's talking to you in the tone that it is. And so, yeah, I I guess what I want to, what I want to draw out from you right now is all of your most charitable takes and what are the things that did work about these, this series? What are the things that you all feel like you could, you can grasp onto the most and what are the things that make you hopeful that a season two of this will be good or that the threads that this opens up will be picked up on in interesting ways in Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Ant-Man, right? <laughs> which, is, which is wild in and of itself. And I wonder whether that's part of the appeal, right? They're going, sure. here is, certainly even if it's not that character, here is Jonathan Majors, ain't that enough? Can I say real quick before James and Reese jump in with their things they maybe like about it? I just want to issue a public, I guess not apology, but Aman and I had a a nice little setup where we would usually like text before the episodes came out, which was like, I don't know, like 9 a.m. for you guys and 2 in the morning for me. (laughs) And he had very much been on the, he was like, it's going to be Kang, it's going to be Kang, it's going to be Kang. And I was kind of trying to be polite, like, yeah, it could be. And in my head, like, you're, there's no way that's happening, buddy. Like, what dream world are you living in? And as soon as that happened, I was like, damn, he was right. So (laughs) 
I, not, not that it's an apology exactly, but just a public admission that I was wrong and Amon was right. It, it did It did turn out to actually be... And I think that is thrilling, right? Like, if you're a person that's invested in this MCU stuff and yeah. you've been like, it wasn't Mephisto, it wasn't whatever people were speculating about with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And, you know, those people that were like, it's going to be Kang, it's going to be Kang. Like, when those doors opened and it was Jonathan Majors, I really did have, a, like, a holy shit moment of, like, wow, they really did it. And I they was not it, expecting yeah. that. And yeah. that's that sense of surprise is cool. Um, I, I, should, so... I should point out, I, I, I called Kang on the Patreon episode. At the end of episode five, James, remember we did all of our predictions. Did you? I think I said. I think I said Kang. I did also say that the DB Cooper scene would end up being really important. So swing some. <laughs> you win some, you lose some. I'll hold my hands up on that one. <laughs> what the re- so I was sitting there going, "There's no way it's Kang because that would be stupid," and <laughs> guess I was wrong. Um, I think the thing, like this, is such a such a backhanded thing to say but what makes me hopeful about season two is that kate heron's not doing it someone else is going to do it someone with a different creative impulse because clearly whatever whatever kate heron's intentions were or the execution of what she was asked to do didn't work for me so the only thing that i can cling to is well different people are doing the next series See, and that's weird because I, I, I don't feel like I have any specific beef with Kate Heron, and I don't. No, me neither. But, but I, I like, don't... the only thing I can cling to is someone else is gonna a creative come in and switch over. Have a and I think idea. Yeah. the guy who um, the way they're doing these shows is so strange. But the quote unquote head writer, Michael Waldron, who yeah. wrote the first episode, co-wrote the last episode, but. It seemed to me like about halfway or before production even began, he basically like jumps off this project and he's writing Multiverse of Madness now. So there was also a weird thing where, you know, he was so involved at the beginning and writing all the scripts, but then was not the writer on set. Like, I do wonder if sometimes some of the weirdness of these shows not feeling cohesive is because they're so weirdly structured where they're sort of half trying to be a movie, half trying to be a TV show. And I wonder if sometimes there's confusion as to who should ultimately make these calls. And also one other thing I wanted to point out was that Tom Hiddleston's a producer on this, which was not the case for WandaVision that the lead actors or Falcon the Winter Soldier, the lead actors were not in that role. So that's also like Mm -hmm. another cook in the kitchen, this person who is like so clearly devoted to Loki, right? And like had these whatever Loki (laughs) lectures where he was teaching everyone, like he's yet another person in the mix of sort of who is ultimately controlling this series and maybe we'll never get an answer on exactly how all that went down. Yeah. I mean, that's not to say there weren't things in the show I enjoyed. Like, I enjoyed a lot of the the performances and the, the banter and the production design and the music. Like, all of those things were great. But for me, the thing I really want out of any show is, you know, for the, the story, the plot, to keep me hooked and i just i got more and more despondent about where the plot was going to the point of thinking the final episode was probably one of the worst episodes of tv marvel's ever done (laughs) of the ones i've seen certainly like i would take any of the netflix shows over that six wow six episode even iron fist even iron fist even iron fist that's like a dagger to the heart james that's dark That was entertainingly bad. At least there was stuff happening. God, what about I've the now, Defenders? I've now the got defenders? to the second most positive person about Loki on this podcast. That's no, insane, so James. I, That's I, think, I think one, one to five have what their about, merits. What is that one thing that they did? Um, the, not the Eternals, but 
Inhumans. Yeah, yes. is it worse than Inhumans? Come on, I've, James. I've only watched the first. I've only watched the first episode of Inhumans, so I can't comment. But that episode's better seen, than the trailer for Inhumans. Like, come on. I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch episode six of Loki again. I just. I came away wow. from it actively angry about how stupid and yeah. like just irritating it was to me on every aesthetic level. Wow, and this was the part of the podcast where we were supposed to say something yeah. positive. I know, I, I'm trying to. Reese, I said nice things about everything you else. Did, you Reese, did. Reese, why, why do you think this has worked for audiences better than us? Because, and, I, and what, I de- what I definitely don't want to do is talk down to those people either, because, like, you know, like, uh, in, in our chat thread, um, Al Kennedy, um, who has interesting thoughts on Miss Minutes, um, Al Kennedy is uh, <laughs> a lot more positive on the show than we uh, than, than we have been, and was all the way through, and basically had like you know very intelligent rebuttals to everything James and I said that was like a bit bummed out about the show. Yeah, he was he was very good on picking up individual character beats and saying, well, no, this is a big moment for Loki because he makes this decision yeah. or he says this thing. And while I agree that if you want to read the show that way those moments are there i think i think the thing al was doing was bringing a lot of his own interpretation to some points that the show wasn't making explicit enough see i think Um, i I think they're all in there this this and this is would be my my route into i think enjoying the show or having a positive reading the show is I think all of the things that it kind of needs to be a functional TV show are kind of in there. They're just yeah. not in there the right amounts or not in there the right order <laughs> or not told at the, the right pace. Reese, bring us some positivity. Uh, well, I was I know I'm the most down on the show of the of the, of the whole group. Uh, yeah, I know, but if you but like what 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 uh, do you think is name one thing you did you like the score? Can we talk about the score oh, for a second? Oh, I love you the must score. have liked the score. I, I, actually, I actually love the score so much. Yes, yes. From, I, I, um, I found myself humming, humming, humming that, that, that theme uh, during in the week between episodes, for sure, for sure. Yeah, from, Natalie Holt's work is like yeah. truly so good, so incredible. Good. Did you like I, the costumes? I, I would not be surprised, by the way, to see Natalie Holt no? scoring <laughs> MCU movies. Um, I hope so, because, yeah, she was great. I could, on the costumes, you know, maybe you ask it, you asked it jokingly, but I, I actually thought that the, the the Loki costume, I was like, oh, this is going to be an exciting six episodes of, like a you know, a, you know, because his costume previously in the MCU has been quite fun and quite quite interesting, and then in the first episode they put him in a you know in a suit and tie, little knit tie, like, okay, okay, sure, sure, that's that fits for this, but the costume going forward is going to be cool and low-key and fun and then and then actually the, that's what he wears for, for five episodes <laughs> no and, must and, and, must passionately disagree see previous point tom hiddleston has never looked hotter <laughs> the trousers i think he wears his trousers about like where his nipples are like his trousers are like insanely high uh all the but when he rolls up those shit. sleeves when he rolls up those sleeves no. reese you didn't love it <laughs> but he wants but he wants us to see him 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 rolling up the sleeves he, he's so he, you know, he's uh, he's he's trying to he's trying to he's trying to make us see that stuff. Uh, that's fine. That's what that was sexy, too obvious. That's what sexy movie stars do. I don't think I he's think... sexy in this. I think he's I think he's posy. I think he, nice. I think he's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for him in this in this oh. in this show. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
you, the you do not have of, the room on this one. Pokes his, <laughs> pokes his chest out at all these no. little kind of like these right. hero angles of the camera, right? right. No, Sorry, I Reece. so disagree. <laughs> end of Lamentis, end of Lamentis, and like Tom Hiddleston just only wear this outfit all the time. This like weird, mostly basic, but sort of future clothes. Like this should just be his real world aesthetic. Right. So we, um, Caroline, we are going to need to pivot back to you there because Reese has really let me down. So. <laughs> You, you, you set me up for a, I was always going to lose that setup. I, I, I don't think that. What you no, but, I, well. but that's, I guess that's why I don't think that, right? I don't like the show, but I, I think, yeah, I, what, what I really want to like understand is why has it been as successful as it has been? Why are you asking me? Ask Caroline. She's the one, she's the one that has posted positive reviews on the AV Club. Caroline, what, what, like what, the show for, for what, were, what, were, uh, what were people saying in the comments on the AV Club? Hmm. What were people saying in the comments? Again, I wrote these reviews at five in the morning. <laughs> were they um, saying this, this isn't rom com? Yeah. No. Um. I do think a lot of what people like about this does come down to the performances, right? Like, I uh, I might not be high on Sylvie, but I think she was a character that really connected with a lot of people. I think the sort of trauma she carried and how she dealt with that was something that connected with a lot of people. If you were into the romance, like. That was a thing for you. Although I will say it was funny. Like I would say by the start of episode four, this show had fully confirmed that this was supposed to be a romantic connection and watching the internet be like, oh, but it's not romantic for like the next three weeks was one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen. It reminded me of in history when it's like, oh, Abraham Lincoln used to write like amorous love letters to this man and sleep in the same bed with him for years. Everyone's like, but they were just friends. And I'm like, this is, everyone was like, no, no. I mean, I know that they've like explicitly said they're, he has a crush on her and they kissed, but it's not romantic love. And I'm like, you guys might not like this, but this is what the show's doing. Like, yeah. <laughs> There's no ambiguity there. That would yeah, that yeah, made yeah. me laugh. Um, seeing people reject that, but I think a lot of the like not just aesthetics in terms of production and costume, but just like the vibe, I guess, of the show. If you were sort of connected to that moody, melancholy vibe, and I think the wackiness, right? Like episode five with all the Lokis. I really loved that episode. I thought that was really fun. I think Richard E. Grant as I mean, they call him classic Loki. He's old Loki, right? Like, that's a much more logical thing to call him, but oh, whatever. Mean. Like, he, he, But even he says that in, in, in the, um, behind, yeah. in the, like, behind the scenes thing. He was like, oh, so I'm playing old Loki. And they're like, you're playing classic Loki. And he was like, okay. <laughs> um, like, I, I really love that. Like, alligator Loki, 10 out of 10. My favorite character on the show. <laughs> I love this. Like, that, that sort of bonkers energy of, episode five is like really what i wanted the whole show to be and so even if we didn't get it as much as i would have liked i like that we got it somewhat i think that's that was the that was the episode that kind of confirmed to me that i just wasn't on the wavelength of the show because i just i just i just wasn't having the fun that other people were and Mm -hmm. that's i think that is purely just on me um I do I do wonder whether another another aspect that maybe people like a lot more about this is that 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 it it does it does it feels bigger and it feels more ambitious and that it feels like it is doing something different within the MCU that you know kind of similar to WandaVision but with more wider ramifications so like a Falcon One and the thing... Winter Soldier feels like it's just kind of it's existing in the world that we already know really well with characters we already know really well, 
But basically, this is just Loki, a bunch of new characters in a main setting that we haven't met before, hopping around through time and talking about stuff like multiverses and introducing an actor who is going to be in at least one, if not multiple, Marvel projects going forward. That it just... It has this sense of scale and ambition that we weren't sure that we were going to get from the Disney Plus shows. One of the things I remember us criticising, like, sort of jokingly in episodes one and two, was like, oh yeah, you know, they've got this ability to go anywhere in time and space, but they only go to Earth. And then episode three, in fairness, was set on an alien planet, and so were future episodes, and, you know, they went to new places. Yeah, they basically don't Um, go back to Earth after that, do they? (laughs) Yeah, right? So, you know, we, we jokingly said that, and they proved us wrong, like, that they did have ambitions to do more than hanging around Ren Fairs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, that, you know, it's fair to say this show does the most with the Marvel Universe as a setting compared to the others. Because either I... of those could have been set basically on today, Earth today. And Loki I, um... does more with that. I do hope that season two feels a little less bound to the TVA because I do feel like there were a couple <laughs> times throughout the series where it was like, ooh, cliffhanger or ooh, they're going someplace new. And the place they went was right back to the TVA, right? Like when Sylvie mm. sort of blew up the timeline at the end of season two and it was like, yeah. where is she going to go? Oh, she's going back to the place we've been for the entire series. <laughs> like I think, and I don't know if that's a pandemic thing or just how the show was written, but I think, you know, I kind of compared it at one point to like a Doctor Who series where they kind of like never leave the TARDIS, like, and, which would be fun for an episode. But, but I would kind of like if season two maybe they get stranded from the TARDIS, right? Like if there's more of of well, Loki and Mobius on the run or something that gives them sort of a different energy uh, and it doesn't feel so bound they to sort one of, place. They sort of need to space it out a bit because you know. Episodes one and two were mostly in the TVA, and when they left the TVA, it was to be in a very small corner of something before going back to the TVA. Episode three is entirely set on an alien planet, almost, and mm-hmm. you just feel like maybe, maybe, you know, spread it out a bit less, bunched up. Like, see, I, 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 um, I agree with Caroline that. Uh, it, it would be nice if so much of it wasn't at the TVA, but then I'm like, but the production design at the TVA was good and everything else looked like mine. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> I think, to, yeah. just to go back to generally, like, more positive things, you were talking about about um, Al Kennedy sort of having deeper character reads, and I do think that stuff is there. Like, I think one of the problems with the show is there are interesting ideas on paper that aren't fully translated and in the finale in particular, like I think sort of what the finale should have been fully centered on was having that dilemma between Loki and Sylvie, right? Like that's what the mm-hmm. the sort of heart of what it's building up to. You have these sort of reverse arcs where Sylvie starts theoretically as like a more altruistic character. And the thing Loki likes about her is that she's sort of trying to just like get rid of the timekeepers and give everyone free will or, you know, help everyone out and, and not have all these pruned timelines. And Loki starts out as this very selfish character who wants to sort of take the throne from the timekeepers and rule. And at the end, you come up with this interesting moral dilemma where Loki has to, you know, he's still having that initial goal of like wanting the throne, but now he's the one doing it for altruistic reasons. And he's like, maybe we can be helpful if we take the throne. And Sylvie 
is still wanting to overthrow the timekeepers but now you get the sense she's doing it for slightly more selfish reasons right like she feels more revenge driven at that point and sort of not her desire to not even take a second to think doesn't speak to her being in a great headspace and i think oh that's a really interesting dilemma to take these two characters and at the end they're still getting the thing they initially wanted but their motivation for doing that has done a 180. i just don't know if the series like fully brought that to the center in the way it could have to make that like finale fully land but like you said before joe like the pieces are there it's just sort of about changing the dials on what you're you're putting center at different points one of the one of the best scenes in the entire show i think was was when mobius sits loki down and says to him like well what do you want do you want to rule the planet you want to rule space mm-hmm. you want to rule all of time like what what do you actually want to do like what what happens after you get all this stuff and that that i think for a character who is a villain who is trying to take over a planet when we you know start the show that's a really interesting piece of character work that they i don't feel like they really brought it back at the end of the show when he is literally being given the chance to rule all of time well i and think like, it was more you right, can but... draw the parallel of like oh now now he just wants to be in love with his new girlfriend and he doesn't want a throne or anything but mm. the connective tissue between those two moments doesn't really feel there well, that... to me that's it. I think that I think that that was what the arc was supposed to be, and you you either buy it or you don't buy it from what you've seen already. Um, but I, I I agree. I thought that was a really interesting scene in episode one, and it was kind of fun to like say to an MCU phase one villain, you know. So so what 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 was that about? What's what, <laughs> like, a dude? Are you are you okay? Do you just need a hug? Because, um, because like, but you know, by Infinity War and Endgame, like, you wouldn't need to ask Thanos that question. We know, we know what that is for Thanos. We know what that is for Killmonger. Um, you know, intentionally picking out two of the the better villains there. Um, but yeah, I, thought I mean, was, Loki was the best villain from Phase One, though. Right? He was, he, but he in had a, very clear motivations. But in a in a like in a grandstanding, I want to be evil, and I kind of want to revel in my evil kind of way. But this, but the show whiffs whiffs that question. It, you know, it sort of it uh, it, it you know. It, it, it raises that and has and has us think has has us has us wonder that for the for the run and it and it whiffs it because it, it doesn't really, it sort of just goes uh we uh, we don't really want to think about why he is a baddie and what he does want but he's got he's got a girlfriend now and that, that's the right. see I, I, so, I, so it whiffs I, it you know? I, I, so why I, why raise it to to then to then fail on on asking that question because I think it's I, I think it's it's one of the tricky things about. <laughs> Who's where the MCU does tie itself in knots that you're like, yeah, this is the, this character who died, but actually, um, before he died, he was able to zap out and do this, and so him dying never happened, but actually, he can watch himself die, and <laughs> so you, yeah, you've just got this this setup with a character who we've seen him do that already. We you know we've we've seen the we've seen the more interesting edges to the character are there we've seen him um place more importance on the relationships in his life we've seen him open up to people more but that but that's not that character so the show kind of has to say like so what is that about avengers version of loki even though we've kind of half done it already 
Do you not think, right, the, the smart way to start this show would have been to have pulled Loki from the moment of his death and said, well, you can die or you can come and work for us. And then they don't have to do all that stuff. Like, I don't... Part of me wonders, yeah, but was the Tesseract That wouldn't thing? have been the better... That wouldn't have been the better version of the scene in Infinity War, though, would it? Well, that, Endgame, would it? What I and, think and is... Endgame is more important than the Loki TV show. Like, like was, was that scene in Endgame in there to give them a Loki spin-off? Yes. Or were they just sort of what, saddled I with that setup? I think what they've said is, like, two things. One, I think that they said that moment of him taking it, I'm sure they were thinking even if they didn't have the TV show planned, like, oh, we can do something with Tom Hiddleston here. Yeah, yeah. We but can bring I, they had somewhere. also said that when they wrote that moment, they were primarily thinking we need to get the Tesseract out of the scene so that we have a way for Cap and Tony to go back to the right. 70s. Yeah. So there I is thought. an element of that to that plotting too. Um, I think I, I think that, you know, you look at the first, you look at the first three TV shows, they all basically have a setup scene in Avengers Endgame. There is a, you know, there's a Bond division, a Falcon, the Wind Soldier, and a Loki tease. And basically between that and uh, Black Widow, there is a Hawkeye tease as well. Um, I think they were all very specifically in there for, we are, we are setting up a TV show out of this moment. And I think the reason why it is Battle of New York is because that worked for Endgame and... We'll figure yeah, it out. I, we'll, I figure just it, think... we'll figure it out later with Loki. Well, I agree, have... James. It's to the detriment of Loki. They have also yeah. said that they wanted... They didn't want it to feel like he just escaped death in the... They didn't want... I mean, I don't know if I fully believe this. I, personally, I don't think Loki's death in Infinity War works at all. Like, it doesn't work as an emotional <laughs> point for me. But they have said that they didn't want to undercut that moment, right? And be like, now when you go back and rewatch this movie, like, wink, wink, he actually didn't die here. They sort of were like, let's leave yeah, that Coulson. as an end point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So they wanted to like keep whatever the quote unquote purity of that character moment for him mm. and pull him from an earlier timeline. Does that work? What I, I don't know. Like that's an open question. But they had at least some like philosophy they articulated for why they wanted to pull him from an earlier moment. Yeah. I get it. I, I you know I I would have liked a major death from that movie to stick. Heimdall. Yeah. <laughs> Heimdall. Well, I was going to say Idris Elba's not back yet. Yeah. He probably, he probably. Let's see how the, the suicide, the Suicide Squad does. But you know, he's he's probably out, probably. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. A major death that people cared about. Well, th- the Thanos. <laughs> that, you know, I don't think I, th- I don't think Brolin comes back. I think he's probably done. Is my guess. They literally what? brought him back from death already. Well, but okay, fine. After end, you know, after <laughs> yeah, end game, okay, I think yeah, he's, yeah. I think he's done. <laughs> I mean, Black Widow. Uh, no, yeah, right? the, no. The, the answer, <laughs> the answer is Black Widow. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Reese, I'm actually a little bit surprised that you feel like Loki's arc didn't work because to me, so much of his arc was in that first episode, which you said you love. Like, I think where I emotionally connect to Loki on this show, and my favorite, like by far, my favorite aspect of the show is his relationship with Mobius. And I actually think that first episode, like, it's surprising to make the first episode do all the legwork like essentially cram all of loki's arc into one episode but <laughs> i think they do a pretty effective job like i think the dynamic that tom hiddleston and owen wilson lock into in that episode in terms of owen wilson like breaking loki down because you feel like he's the first person in loki's life that hasn't met him with aggression right like loki he can just kind of loki can yell at him all he wants and owen wilson or mobius will just meet him like okay that's nice like oh why do you think you're doing that right like he's this like weird therapist almost <laughs> therapist. and it's interesting to be like oh that's the thing that gets through to loki like that he can get 
he his defenses get broken down quicker when he's met with kindness because he isn't usually met with that in his life. So I think what you know one of the reasons I loved that first episode and the second episode so much is because I thought that that dynamic between them was so believable in terms of like oh this is fully the mentor that would make Loki do a one eighty because. Hmm. It's just not the type of energy he's usually met with, and you know whatever his scene partner is. But 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 I well you know you know I think the, I think the arc then between those two is in that first episode. You yeah, know, it happens and then and then and then it, it ends. So you know you have it's that it's that bit when he when Mobius shows Loki uh, his I can't remember if, if if it's if it's Asgard being destroyed or or it's uh, or it's freya dying but it's like it's one of those two and and he shows loki that and then loki breaks down and then but then that's that's the that's the relationship established you know mm-hmm. I, I, and and there is no arc really past that really and then so i think for me you get to that bit in the in the finale uh or the penultimate where he, where he there, there's that hug when he gets out of the of the of the car and there, I just there just wasn't a journey there for me between those two characters. You all the journey happened in in that excellent for me and you excellent first episode. That yeah. that it's happened, it's done, uh, and so and so the rest is just it's just wheel spinning or, or it's just kind of treading water. There's no there's no story past that point. You but know, then, argu- to be arguably, fair, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. Well, well arguably, the, the, there's there's no need for any interaction between the, those two for sure for for, for, for four more hours. But if your uh, guys' solution is pull him from Infinity War, like ultimately the first episode is about getting Loki to Infinity War status. So you guys are essentially wanting one less episode, right? Where you don't have to go through <laughs> that arc. Like you do kind of just have to get on board with the idea that the show, yes, it's pulling from a 2012 Avengers Loki, but the point of the show is not explore 2020 2012 loki right like the point of the show is get loki back to his present day mcu status quo we kind of cheated to get there so i do think you kind of like have to just get on board with that as the premise of the show i I think my my frustration with the show is i think the premise is ultimately you know kevin feige sitting in his office is this has to end with multiverse and the fact that it's a loki episode it's a loki series i think episode six betrays that that is the secondary a secondary goal. concern. Yeah. If, they, if if the premise of, of a show is to let's get our protagonist to the same point that he might have reached through two I years ago, I think he get. I that do think he gets further. Right? He still he decides he doesn't want to be alone. He Ooh. does. I think that by I think in episode one and two, maybe episode one in particular, is getting him to like Infinity War status, and then theoretically, once he gets into the yeah. Sylvie stuff, that's yeah. what's getting him to beyond mm-hmm. to like full romantic hero status. Because it's it's the Sylvie stuff, and it's the shift in him with Sylvie, which it is. What... And like, I care about you more than I care about myself, right? Yes. Like that's his thing at the end, where he's like, I don't really care about anything else. I just want you to be okay. Again, not a moment that hugely worked for me, but like, I get <laughs> on paper what they're going for there. That this is and a it's... level of selflessness we haven't seen from him and it's meeting sylvie and that shift in him after meeting sylvie that uh enables him to kind of have the courage to admit to mobius that he wants to be his friend yeah yeah which which (laughs) i i thought was sweet um we've been talking for so long so i think we should uh start to wrap this up so i just want to uh throw a couple more um listener questions at you guys so gina freeman tweeted us and asked um do we think after seeing Loki's abilities in this season that he's been underplayed during the whole of the previous MCU? Or, and, and what I want to spin that out to is, 
what did we think about the depiction of Loki's powers in this series? <laughs> because I was so convinced that on that Lamentis episode where he literally stopped a building from falling on them, I was like, oh, so it's not real. That So this episode hasn't been real. So there is someone, someone is in an illusion here. But um, no, it turns out Loki's got loads of powers that we just didn't appreciate. <laughs> He's just got masses of telekinesis, yeah. There's another thing that I, I feel like I didn't really, by the end of the series, didn't understand was, so what can Loki do? Especially because yeah. they have that scene early on where Loki is specifically explaining what Loki can do. And, I, and, and he's going like, oh, you know, full body projection is different from fake holograms. And it's like, okay, and is I that going to matter ever? I wonder whether that scene was there to intentionally confuse us. Like, I'm going to explain this to you in, in words that don't really understand so that when my powers don't make sense later, <laughs> uh, you can't get angry. <laughs> I do think one of the points of the show, and they say this in the fifth episode, when he's watching classic Loki conjure Asgard, he's like, I think we're stronger than we realize. So I do think part of the point of it was like, in meeting other versions of yourself where they each had, right, like one of five powers then it makes the um, initial, you know, mm. each Loki realize, oh, then I can access these other four powers too, right? Mm-hmm. And that's like, he didn't think he could do enchanting like Sylvie does, and then he realizes he can. Mm. And so I guess maybe, like, I agree, the falling moment in Lamentis is super weird. I also expected all of Lamentis to be a trick. I just expected there to be some trick in the show yeah. at any point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think maybe theoretically that was supposed to be a moment where like his instincts kicked in and he had a power i don't know to be honest power levels in the mcu is just not a thing that stresses me out because if it if that's a thing that stresses you out you're going to be stressed for 90 percent of <laughs> trying to figure out like how but, strong cap is my sister will go on rant. <laughs> my sister will go on like a rant about how cap being able to hold a, a helicopter is just like so far beyond what she's like do you know how strong helicopters are like he could not, <laughs> he could not do that so at some point you just have to let some things go i don't know There's i saw his bicep sh- bulge and i believed it <laughs> Like, which, like, um, which show is it where someone gets hit in the head with Cap Shield and you're just like, how are they not dead? It's Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, yeah, you just think like that would instantly kill anyone. Yeah. yeah. I like, Caroline, that your sister goes on rants plural. Uh, on, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like a big And she's not even like, passionate. This is like her strongest Marvel take. She's not even like a Marvel super <laughs> fan. She just has a very strong take on <laughs> Steve Rogers' level of strength. Strong takes on strength. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay, and then the, the the final thing that I think we need to talk about, um, a couple of questions. Um, ha- Harry J, um, the star of our Thought Bubble, bubble episode, uh, will be forever enshrined as that. Um, Asters, uh, with Kate Heron not coming back for season two, is there someone else we'd like to see in the driver's seat for the show? Mm. And, uh, and then I think spinning from that, Neil Delano tweeted us and said, do you think season two will pick up right, up, right where season one left off? Could the story continue in the movies first? And so basically what I want to use that for is um, broad speculation. What do we what, what do we think is going to happen in season two of this mm. show? Where do we think season two of this show picks up? When will we see season two? And also, you know, what would we what would we like to? What what in a dream world? Because I'm, I'm just going to kick us off and answer Harry's question. Who I would like to see in the Kate Heron role. Is the head writer of season two because that's just how that's mm. that's how tv works yeah like, can, we, can we have can we have the head writer as the, the showrunner please i think that yeah. would make more sense than what they're doing at the moment do you know who i would like to be maybe not the head writer but like the co-head writer 
And this was also a take I got from watching the behind the scenes thing that Disney Plus puts up is Mm -hmm. Owen Wilson. Because one thing Kate Karen said is that Owen Wilson obviously is a screenwriter with Wes Anderson. They've collaborated a bunch. And she said that she on set was like really invited Owen to sort of write or create his own lines or add to the story. Because she was like, this is an amazing asset and talent I have here. Why would I not do that? And and Tom Hiddleston said the same thing that Owen Wilson was really curious about, like asking him about what he liked about Loki and understanding mm. Loki, and then write like there's some line where he's like, Tom Hiddleston had had some metaphor that what he liked about Loki was that Loki could play the high, sort of fun, eccentric keys on the piano, and like the low, somber, mm. melancholy keys on the piano. Oh, I love this guy. And then um, Owen Wilson, Mobius has a line where he's like, oh, I can play the heavy keys too, right? And that mm. was like a line that Owen Wilson wrote to because he liked how Tom Hiddleston had described that and I wonder if maybe the reason I like those first two episodes so much which did have such a Mobius focus if maybe you know in this stew of the many many (laughs) collaborators that were putting this together I wonder if a lot of that stuff was actually coming from Owen Wilson and like if there's a world where he can do more you know he probably doesn't want to be the showrunner but like (laughs) if there's a world where he can do more co-writing on the series I would love for that to happen I love that Caroline I love that I I, you're making me think I always like the vibe of the scenes between Mobius and Renslayer Mm -hmm. in the office Mm -hmm. and you know you've got two really talented actors there I again like I kind of this another hope for season two I hope that they do more with Renslayer and turn her into just less of a kind of like secondary foil. And you know, you've got Google and Battle Raw. She that character has connections with Kang in the comics. Play them up. Um, and you know, who knows if Jonathan Majors is in season two? I suspect probably not in any major way. So, so just allow Google to go major way. Yeah, and and I, but I also do just have now, after you said that, just a vision of yeah. Owen Wilson annotating his script and just at the end of mm-hmm. every line adding a little, wow, 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 <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow. <laughs> made, made, made a, a wow. <laughs> Um, so I I think Jonathan Majors will be in season two because they had that giant statue of him. I have a horrible feeling the entire story of season two is going to be them searching for a different vari- variant of Kang and then killing him. I really, I don't think the story is going to continue in the movies. I think the movies will give, at best, minor space to the idea that something like the TV exists or that the creation mm-hmm. of the multiverse mm-hmm. happened. Well, so I think so- at best they will say something like there was a multiversal event and now things are out yeah. of control. So James, they won't the- say. Loki in the TV show did this, and now Kang is here and bad stuff. Let's, let's That's look not going to happen. Let's look at the projects on the docket, right? So on the movie side, we've got uh, Shang-Chi Eternals, which I, I don't think we expect to be multiverse at all. Then yep. we've got Spider-Man No Way Home, which feels like there is a multiverse event in there. with you mm-hmm. know, it, where That's our ex- expectation. Then Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness feels like it has to be Doctor Ooh. Strange in and Wanda in some way traveling between multiverses. Mm-hmm. Thor, Love and Thunder, Black Panther, Marvel, uh, Wakanda Forever, uh, and the Marvels are the next 2022 movies. Mm. Would be surprising if any of those are multiverse-focused. So then it's not until 2023, then, that you get to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which is going to yeah. star Jonathan Majors. So on the small screen, we've got What If, which feels like it will be multiverse focused and doing a, but just doing What If. What Um, If in the multiverse. 
sure. Miss Marvel, Hawkeye feel unlikely to be yep. multiverse focused. I'd say the same for She-Hulk. Moon Knight, who who knows? Probably mm-hmm. not, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's in there in some way. And then Secret Invasion, I kind of feel like you are you're inviting trouble if you do a Secret Invasion and play up multiverse stuff. So I'm going to say no to that as well. That might <laughs> yeah. become too confusing. So I guess it depends. Where do we think Loki season two is going to hit? My guess is 2022 at some point, maybe a bit mm-hmm. later in the year, I don't know. Yeah, Late 2022 would be okay. my guess, yeah. yeah. So which would place it after Spider-Man No Way Home and the Multiverse of, and after Multiverse of Madness. But pre-Ant-Man. But, right? but pre-Ant-Man, yeah. and then yeah. on the small screen, um, you, you know, probably nestled in around Secret Invasion before mm-hmm. the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Sure. <laughs> so which again i'm not which will yeah. have huge canonical you know, <laughs> yeah, impacts yeah. so it's so it's so basically what we... religion is peter quill gonna be this year this is huge <laughs> for the canon <laughs> so it feel and then and then you've got to go okay so is is loki going to be is it going to pick up straight after that finale yeah. Um, where, where, I, I don't, yeah. that doesn't even yeah. feel like a question to me. You're not going to yeah, end on this cliffhanger and be like, "Oh, five yeah. years later, there, you know, <laughs> right?" So like, then, also, well, well so then, the yes, TBA, right? yes. So no what, what is time. time in the TBA? Right. Is that scene happening after the stuff that it, in Spider-Man: No Way Home and Multiverse of Madness has already happened? I think, I think, no. I know, I think, I think probably yes. I think that's the 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 kind of the neatest way to do it is to say. The multiverse was created. This shit has happened, and Loki is at the TVA, which is out of time, um, has kind of dropped back into this scenario, and 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 that stuff is. We've, we've already, already overthought it. We've yeah, it'll just be it. simultaneous. No, it'll just be like what it'll do is it'll it'll just not be relevant, right? Like, okay, yes. Doctor Strange is going and fighting multiverse stuff in Earth or whatever, and then Loki's at the TVA. I think that the what I would do for a season two is like you anchor it again in the Mobius Loki relationship. If season one was mm. about Mobius helping Loki discover like his best self, season two is going to be about Loki guiding this new Mobius mm-hmm. that doesn't remember him to, you know, the best version that Mobius can be. And they, you sort of do the reversal of that arc and sort of make it either they're tracking Sylvie or Sylvie becomes more of a villain or, you know, there's something that like you team up all the quote unquote good guys from season one and give them a new mission to do. That to me seems like yeah, a pretty straightforward way to do it and you don't worry too much about like whatever is happening to spider-man in new york or anything <laughs> I, I don't I, I i will say i don't think any of the events in that in those movies are going to necessarily matter for loki season two i just think that what, what's the neater way to do it is to say loki's kind of out of time and even though you saw that first it kind of happens after but yeah do it, do it. It, um, it might it might make loki season one and season two feel even you know, again, I'm 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 probably the the the, the uh, lowest on this show of the group, but it might make it feel even even lesser, even you know, even smaller than than it would have done otherwise, because 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 Spider-Man comes along and goes, oh, there's a multiverse, and here's the fun we'll have in that, mm-hmm. and then you're like, oh, I just watched six hours, which I think we're trying to establish that that was a thing, and it wasn't, it didn't even you know, it wasn't even done that sort of. Uh, confidently or or, or, or uh, completely but that was what that show was about and, and you as the movie are just saying this is a thing that ha- that exists you know this is this is the reality and, and moving on from that I, I i could see that being i could see that being frustrating if, if you had put in emotional <laughs> investment into loki and into loki uh creating 
this new reality and then for the movies to be like to just not even acknowledge it to just kind of, to just kind of accept it as as uh as table stakes like you know I, wonder. I think it'll be like Doctor Strange 2 opens, right? And it's like Benedict Cumberbatch getting an alert. And it's like, oh my God, what's happening? The multiverse is forming. And it's like, okay, if you watch Loki, you know why it's happening. If you didn't, yeah. it's just like the premise of the film is <laughs> here's a crisis and he has to deal with it. And it kind of yeah, works yeah, either yeah. way. Getting in a lot. I love it. Like, like on his like on his magic phone. I love, yeah, I love yeah, exactly. <laughs> his <laughs> Apple Watch, his magic <laughs> Apple Watch. Oh, shit. My, my, my watch is kicking up. Long, we've got a... <laughs> I can, tell you, I can tell you now, right? L L T I V. This is a long message. <laughs> what I think, right, is that the Spider-Man three trailer will give us some indication of what's going to happen, and uh, that trailer will come out between this episode being recorded. <laughs> yes, released. yeah, that will yeah, probably absolutely. Okay, and, then, and so, most Marvel so movies they take place over the course of like three days, right? It's not like we need to stress mm. that much about like what's the mm. time. Most Mar- they're just like, okay, here's one adventure <laughs> that happened in a week. Here's another adventure <laughs> that happened a week somewhere else. They're not so, you know, deeply connected <laughs> on this timeline where everything lines up perfectly. I know they say that they are, but you know, let's be let's be honest. I There's guess a limit. I don't. I I guess I don't know what I want from season two of this show. I don't know what season two of this show is going to be. I just hope it regrounds it back in the characters. And and you know what? Almost if it if it just treats it as ah the new status quo is there's a multiverse and now we go off and do our adventure within it and don't worry too much about we need to get to Kang. We need to get to Renzo. You know, it, just just tell your own story within the new status quo. I think would be my preference. But Caroline, I'm really interested in you kind of um, saying maybe, you know, in your version of this, maybe Sylvie is more plays a kind of a villain role in the in the second season. I I felt really I didn't know how I was supposed to feel and how the show was wanting me to feel about her decision to do what she does in the finale, Mm -hmm. because it is set up as if this is the wrong decision to make because she is she has not reached the kind of uh zenness emotional catharsis that our loki has and that she that he is able to trust and he's able to love and she hasn't got there yet so she makes this decision which is going to lead to a worse villain coming along but then at the same time she has gifted free will on on everyone in the in in what was the sacred timeline now the multiverse so like it feels like that that was the heroic thing to happen at the end of the series but it was framed as this was a bad thing to do i don't think it was the wrong decision i think the point was that she made it for the wrong reasons because loki isn't saying don't make that decision he's like can we take 30 seconds and talk about this before we make a universe changing decision and her inability to do that means she's like I think that just indicates she's not in the mindset to make that decision well. And maybe there was a third option, right? Like, he who remains is like, you can do A or B. And maybe if Loki and Sylvie had talked, there could have been a C (laughs) where they could have done this, you know, in a, they could have gone with neither of these options and James James and I were big on option C on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I feel like the point is not necessarily that she is a hero or a villain, right? I mean, that's the line they keep saying, nobody's wholly good, nobody is wholly bad. It's just that, I think the the way in which she made that decision, she wasn't fully thinking things through, and then clearly it did not give her like what what's that thing in Birds of Prey where Harley Harley Quinn is like, oh, it rarely gives us the catharsis we want, revenge, really, <laughs> whatever. It's like that line, that moment, right? Like her little 
sort of yeah. breaking down. I think that the I could see season two, if season one eh, was sort of, kind of, not really the like battle for Loki's soul, I could see season two being like the battle for Sylvie's soul. Yeah. And they've kind of, Kate Heron talked about wanting Sylvie to sort of feel like Thor era Loki, which, you yeah. know, like that maybe was his more petulant or angry side, at least in the ending of that. And so then if the next season is sort of about eventually getting Sylvie to the healthier place, like, right, like, I think the emotional end of this episode is that Loki is this person who fails, ends up alone, and then throws a pity party for himself. Like, that's kind of always been his arc between movies. And the sort of emotional end point of this is he fails, he ends up alone, but instead of just sitting in that, he his immediate instinct is like, okay, now I'm going to go for, to my other friend Mobius and we're going to solve this together. And that's sort of like a big choice for him to make is to go seek help and connection and friendship, which is not his usual MO. Yeah. So I think that that season two is more about that collaboration and wanting to get Sylvie to a place where she wants to do that collaborating oh, too. You're, des you're describing a, you're, you're, you're neatly sort of describing a, a different show to the one I saw. Like, <laughs> <laughs> With nice logical arcs and, and gentle character moments. I, I just, you know, I, I just, I didn't see right. that. I didn't see that. Okay, that's almost a great moment to take us out. I just want to ask if we, do we think that we've just seen the creation of mutants in the Fantastic Four? What? I'm, kid I'm kidding. What? We're not, we're not, we're not going what into that. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, so that, that was our discussion of season one of Loki. Um, if you found that interesting and you're not already uh, subscribing to our Patreon, then do head over there and you can kind of revisit James and I um, experiencing that on a week-by-week -week basis. Um, can I jump in to say, too, if you have listeners that aren't subscribed to that Patreon, you all should sign up because it's really good. Those were, like, my go-to episodes to listen to when I needed, hooray. you know, to process the episode. So consider this a hearty recommendation that it's worth the money and, and your listeners should check those <laughs> out, too, because they've been great. Thank you. Thanks, Caroline. That's nice. Um, sometimes, um, I'm trying to think, what's, what, what's the best way to describe the vibe on Patreon, James? It's freewheeling. Uh, after hours. Raw. Yeah. <laughs> we did, we did a, <laughs> it's like Baywatch Nights, but if it, it was recorded in the day. Hollyoaks later. <laughs> That's a, to, we, for, we for people did. of the younger generation, like the rest of us. James was reaching back for <laughs> Baywatch Nights. And... We just did a quiz between me and Joe to determine who is the biggest and least redeemable nerd. <laughs> so you can go and you can go and find out who won that one. Least redeemable. That's a, that's yeah. a, that's a yeah. fun. Most fun embarrassing game. nerd. That yeah. was the <laughs> title we were paying for. There might there might be a hint to who won that one <laughs> in James's description. Um, <laughs> Reese, do you have a pitch for us? Yes, I think I do. Um, uh, a simple one, which is lots of chat from you know Richie Grant and uh, and Hiddleston at, at Al about further lo further spin-offs or, or, or versions of those characters but pitch me pitch me a, a, a further loki spin-off from from alternate loki's that we've seen in this show including Sylvie. um and james you can go first okay i'm i'm gonna go with a kid loki show because I think the story that Kieran Gillen did on Journey into Mystery, where he took a child version of Loki, and the idea was, here is a blank slate, you know, you've got Hitler as a baby, do you still trust him, or do you try and let him let him go, 
you know, forward into a new life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I think, if you're going to replace Loki, that's an interesting way to do it, is to have this sort of tabula rasa version of Loki who could be good, could be evil, and you can no longer trust. Because, you know, the thing about Tom Hiddleston's Loki is you can always trust that if he turns up, he's going to be an antagonist. But this kid, this child Loki, maybe not. And, you know, there's also the added tension of, allegedly, this kid Loki from the multiverse killed Thor. So what's the deal with that as well? What's his dark past that allowed him to get to that place? That was the thing. I will say commenters, because in my review, I said murdered. And they were like, the show specifically says killed. So it could have theoretically been an accident. Like, you don't know. Wow. So uh, we'll put that out there that it could he could be a much more innocent, Ooh. accidental murderer, Loki. <laughs> so yeah, that's the show I want, Kid Loki. I I I understand the, the 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 dream, but I think the problem with that is that unlike the comics, you haven't had Loki established as enough of a of a proper villain in in the MCU to then have that tension of sort of baby Hitler right, being interesting. Give us a- Give us a bit of tension before we know that we've beaten James. No, I'm just, I'm just saying. I think that's my. That's my yeah. Hey, you know, pressure. This is because I made fun of your joke, isn't it? No, it's this because is I just, made fun uh, of his joke. No, it's fine. It I get is, it. Indeed. I get it. Let's move on. Uh, uh, Joe, you're up. You're up. You're up. Okay. Um, so my, my spin-off to the show is the is the the version that I wanted to see in this one, which is. <laughs> Um, a King Loki played by Richard E. Grant. Um, and because I just, it felt like the logical extension of this show to show Mm. a Loki getting better to see, to see him self-actualizing, to see him realizing his flaws, grappling with them, becoming a better person, becoming Mm. the person he wanted to be, being the person that, uh, being his mother's son, um, And, like, what I wanted him was to open up a room and kind of see, not the vote Loki version, but, like, a, a, like a, not, a not comical take on that, a, mm. a let's go full villain with Loki, where he's, a, he's actualized on the villain arc, and he's, he properly has been the guy who's pulling the strings, he was the guy that got to He Who Remains and went, yeah, okay, I'll take over. And that was the and that was the Loki that we you know that that our one meets, um, and yeah, mm-hmm. and I think Richard E. Grant would have been amazing for that. So bring back classic slash old Loki and let him go full king evil Loki. Pr- problem with that is that you can't you know it's hard to do shows where the the main guy is is just a proper bad guy. So I think that's the that's the dilemma there. Caroline, pitch a perfect Loki's been a show. Well, I think failed to do. I think that <laughs> one of the benefits of this show being on Disney Plus is that mm-hmm. you just have all of the other Disney catalog right there, and they should really be maximizing their crossover potential. So I think that you take Alligator Loki, clear breakout uh-huh. star of season one, <gasps> you put him in the Princess and the Frog the universe, yes. where there's that alligator that wants to be a musician, <laughs> and he is like the Mobius <laughs> to Alligator Loki, and Alligator Loki's trying to come out here warring, fighting, and I think the other guy's name is Louie. He's like, no, man, the way through is music, and we will have a beautiful alligator jam band together. So that's what I would like to see. And you would call it the princess and the frog, Loki, right? (laughs) Yeah. No, the princess and the frog. 
<laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, I love the Princess and the Frog, by the way. This is huge. I, I'm reading from, from the Wikipedia of the Princess and the Frog. Uh, Louis, a friendly yet neurotic, obese trumpet playing alligator. His dream is to become a human so he can join a jazz band. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's a human? I mean, that is... Yeah. That is the worst reason to become a human. God, I wish I was an alligator so I could eat a jazz band. <laughs> James needs to Caroline watch it. It, makes, it. it speaks emotional truth in the moment. Also, he sings also, a whole also, song about it. Also, James, you can't criticise any film whereby uh, one of the characters uh, or, or, or one of the takeaways from the film is that is that Joe has named his daughter after that character. You, you just no, can't do no, it. No, no, no. It's bulletproof. It's fucking bulletproof. <laughs> You can't. You just it can't is, add to it. It is merely one of the sources of, in, of many ah. inspirations for my daughter's name. <laughs> yeah, it's her and and the wasp from. I've done. Room, so, I've know, done multiple tweets about it. <laughs> and Wordsworth, Reese. Sure, sure. Course, I have levels. Of course. Of course. <laughs> her middle name is Vesper, but you can't guess where that came from. <laughs> who, who could say? Who could say? A little scoop, scoop, two wheeler. Uh, uh, so Caroline, you take the prize this eve. Um, yes. The other two, the other two boys, uh, barely played. Purpose. Barely played. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I would have said before that I could see that coming, but Caroline's answer was way better than us. So. It was so good. It, yeah. it was the best. But you guys had shit. When in doubt, go with the comedy answer. <laughs> great, great. Caroline, thank you so much for joining us. Um, our listeners should go and, um, you know, if they do want to check out our Patreon episodes retrospectively, they should also check out your AV Club uh, reviews retrospectively, which are um, a, a, a cheaper than our Patreon. So, oh, God. <laughs> I think it's two dollars a only... month to, to read the AV Club. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I only spotted one typo when I was rereading them today, so I think that's not so bad for considering the hours in which they yeah. were written. Please, if there are more, you don't need to tweet me about it. We'll just let them live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, go check those out. Also, um, listen to Roll Calling. Um, you know, I, I can genuinely recommend it. It's a uh, great podcast, and I'm counting down the days until they get to Tom Cruise. <laughs> i'm sure we will i have many things oh, to say the edge of the edge of tomorrow episode was a, it was a, it was a little appetizer it was an edging joey episode <laughs> <laughs> cancelled cancelled tom cruise two sec i've done it too many times <laughs> oh four's too many okay uh There's so no yeah rule of four <laughs> thor uh, there is a, we're going to end the episode here so we can all go to bed and I can uh, figure out what I'm going to do after I've been cancelled um, yeah Caroline thank you for joining us uh, listeners if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe on your podcast app of choice leave us a review fans on twitter we are at cine underscore verse I'm at jokeunion14 James is at James Hunt Reese is at Reese Caroline you're at Caroline Cedar correct uh, so yeah, uh, go do that. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe if you do want to subscribe to that Patreon. Uh, we will be back uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, you can uh, wait around until after the credits to hear what we'll be covering. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. You know the deal. 
successfully complete the mission and you get 10 years off your sentence. You fail to follow my orders in any way and I detonate the explosive device in the base of your skull. Cinematic Universe returns in a couple of weeks time with THE Suicide Squad. <laughs>